President Miner, the recording is now on. It is 2.06 p.m. Uh, thank you. Good afternoon. I'm using my gavel to call to order this regular meeting of the San Francisco Civil Service Commission on Monday, October 2 at approximately 2.06 p.m. Our commission staff will read a statement with more information about our meeting there uh, today. Thereafter, staff will tell us how we're handling public comment. Good afternoon and welcome to the Civil Service Commission meeting this Monday, October 2nd, 2023. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person City Hall room 400 and available to view on WebEx. If you have an item scheduled on the agenda, the public may listen to the meeting by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 2664-718-2757. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment on items not on the agenda at the beginning of this meeting. And there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to three minutes. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely by video or call-in. For each item, the Commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Commission staff will provide further instructions on how to provide public comment via phone or video. If you need assistance accessing the meeting virtually or by phone, please call 628-652-1100. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings, and this will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of this meeting body. Commission staff will now provide further instructions on making public comment remotely. As stated on our agenda and our website, this meeting is being held in person and remotely. For members who wish to attend remotely and make public comment, the phone number is 415-655-0001. The meeting code is 2664-7182-757. Please make sure that you are in a quiet location and that you turn off any television or radio to reduce reverberation so that the commission can hear you. At the appropriate time, the president will ask the phone lines to be open for any public comment. If you wish to comment on the particular item by phone, you will be prompted to press star three. This will add you to the speaker line. The auto prompt will say that callers are entering question and answer time, but this is the public comment period. You will be queued up in the order in which you press star three. There will be an automated voice that will tell you when it is your turn to speak. When your microphone has been unmuted, you will hear us ask you to state your name and to make your comments. Commission staff will start your three minutes when you begin talking. I will say 30 seconds when you have 30 seconds remaining. When your time is up, I will say thank you. Next caller, please. At this point, the moderator will put you back on mute. Thank you. Executive officer, we're ready for the first agenda item. Item number one, call to order and roll call. President Minor Here. Vice President Favetti, we have been formed, will be attending a little later today. Commissioner Crowley? Present. 
Commissioner Leung? Here. Commissioner Salveson? Here. And we have a quorum. Thank you. We're ready for the next agenda item. Item two, request to speak on any matter within the jurisdiction of the Civil Service Commission, but not appearing on today's agenda. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on any matter within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission. If you are in the room, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three. We will start with uh, members of the public in the room. Uh, we're ready for your public comment. Okay, my, my name is Steve Seltzer. I apologize to interrupt. Commissioners, I do need to read the public comment script before you start. During general public comment, members of the public sometimes wish to address the Civil Service Commission regarding matters that may come before the Commission in its capacity as an adjudicative body. The Commission does not restrict this use of general public comment. To protect the due process rights of parties to its adjudicative proceedings, however, the Commission will not consider, in connection with any adjudicative proceedings, statements made during general public comment. If members of the public have information that they believe to be relevant to a matter that will come before the Commission in its adjudicative capacity, they may wish to address the Commission during the public comment portion of that adjudicative proceeding. The Commission will not consider public comment in connection with an adjudicative proceeding without providing the parties an opportunity to respond. At this time, the Commission will take public comment on matters not on the agenda, but within the jurisdiction of the Commission. The maximum time allowed will be three minutes unless a significant number of speakers request to be heard, in which event the Commission President or Chair may elect to reduce the maximum time allowed. A subsequent comment made by an individual speaker after the initial allowance is limited to one minute. Thank you. We're ready for your public comment. You have three minutes. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, my name is Selena Keen. I go by Miss K. Some of you may know me and some of you may not. I'm actually a forced retiree from human service agency during the pandemic of COVID. Um, I just want to say that I'm here to make public comment and express my deepest concern about this mishandling of the retainment of civil service employees amongst the COVID pandemic. Excuse my terms. That's what I call it. Um, Mayor Breed um, spoke to one of the attorneys that I know at an event a couple of weeks ago, stating that there were 4,000 openings here in the city of San Francisco. But ironically, at least two to 3,000 of those openings were due to the, the, uh, the unlawful terminations and forced retirement of veteran seniority workers who would not take the COVID vax due to religious convictions or medical inabilities, whose rights, Title VII civil rights, matter of fact, were violated by the city and county of San Francisco. Informed these unlawful COVID mandate policies have created mental, physical, and emotional hardships for and financially mostly more so financially, uh, financially uh, quite a few people have lost homes, uh, you know, not being able to pay their bills, have had to move out of their residences, have become homeless. And so in form of this, um, they all impacted everyone negatively, including myself and my coworkers uh, from the various city and county departments uh, who have been serving the community for San Francisco for a total of maybe over 40 years. And in the meantime, the city's uh, uh, picking and choosing uh, who they're returning right now. 
Um, several people that I know of have received letters um, as of September 15th and uh, asking to return to work or check in to return to work within their departments by September 18th. And that just happened. I wasn't one of those who received those letters. My coworkers weren't one of those that received those letters, but various other individuals within their departments received those letters. Now, um, ironically, um, they get to come back with their full seniority. Whereas someone like us who wants to come back and should be able to be allowed to come back, excuse me, I'm sorry, being allowed to come back um, has to go through a format, a form that will actually take away our seniority and our past service experience. And that is unfair to us. We've served this community of San Francisco, born and raised here. I'm going to be 60 years old. I didn't even get my full retirement. Okay, I got vested when they pushed me out and they they totally violated me because I was on disability when they did this to me. Okay, so there's several violations here, but the main thing is servicing the community of San Francisco. I want to make sure that you guys recognize to bring people who want to continue to service San Francisco back to these openings that you have. I know there's another agenda in regards to rules. I'll wait to that to, to make my comments for that. Okay. Thank you for your public comment. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Greetings, commissioners. My name is Kimberly Cox, and I was also a terminated employee due to the vaccine. And this has changed my life significantly and many others. Um, you just don't know. Um, now the icing is on the cake because Ms. Carol Eisen has announced that the mandates are over. However, we have to reapply. Why should we have to reapply? Alameda County under the same union, SEIU did not have to reapply. Um, in New York, they did not have to reapply. We should be given our jobs back along with our benefits and along with our seniority that we had upon being terminated. We have one individual, a brother of ours, who is homeless. He got evicted and he's sleeping in his car right now. He served so many years for the city. This is just dramatic for all of us. Um, the entire fiasco should have never occurred in the first place because it was illegal to begin with. Uh, we could have had some type of exemptions. I was denied an exemption from SFMTA. Um, they still haven't answered why that exemption, medical exemption was denied. Um, now, San Francisco has no intentionality of helping us um, from what I understand. And I have a copy of that same letter my colleague just talked about. On the letter, it states that you're to report to work on September 18th. This was on SFMTA letterhead. I didn't get a letter. Several of my colleagues didn't get a letter. So now we're picking and choosing who can come back. So this whole fiasco is... And not intentional, it's wrong, it's corrupt. Um, the mayor has been hollering about the city is short workers, over 4,000. Like I said on my social media, bring us back. You wouldn't be short the 4,000 individuals. And why is it that 
people from USPS, even our own school district in San Francisco. They accommodated people. They let them test. They let them wear masks. We were not able to do any of that. So we plead with you today to help us. We demand to get our jobs back and to get our benefits back and to help these wrongs become rights at this point. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for your public comment. Next speaker, please. Good evening. My name is Melody Fontilla. I am a former um, forced retiree. I worked for the city and county of San Francisco. I started in 1999 and uh, did an excellent job. I have an excellent record. I worked with uh, CalWORKs participants and GA participants, help people to get to work or into training. And I refused to take the COVID uh, vaccine because it was my right to refuse a medical mandate such as this. And so for me, it um, brings up a lot of issues because I was not ready to retire. Um, I did not want to leave my position. Uh, I was one of the first workers to come back when the pandemic started to assist those people. You all just left hanging. The agencies just left people hanging without any type of information about what was going on. What was the next move? How do you get connected? How you, how do you uh, continue to send in your CA7 form? All these different things. And I was the one. When they asked for numbers, they used my numbers from my department because we had reached out to individuals to help them succeed through this mess that people made intentionally and deliberately, but was not called for. And so it's just, it's just disturbing because this was my career. This ain't no average any kind of job. Like I said, I started in 1999 and was there until 2022 when I was forced to retire. And I've not been able to get any of my items from my office where I worked out at 1800 Oakdale. No one has talked to me about my personal items that I had in my office. This is, you don't do, you just don't do people like this. You don't kick them out. And then tell me I have to come back without the possibility of still with my seniority. I don't understand how you can say that you um, are a commission and say, this is what we think is right to do to the people that work for us. And I don't think it's fair to treat people like this and have them out of their homes, displace them, have them, um, having financial issues. I am so, I had to move in with my daughters. This is not okay. This is not acceptable. And I wanna come back to work. So you can, you can, you can, for the shortages that you all have, please bring me back, but bring me back with my seniority that I worked for. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comments in the room? Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Bradley Weedmeyer. I'm a quarter century more uh, resident of the Tenderloin and um, I'm a home care worker and I'm also retired luckily on social security 
to help so that I can remain in the city. And I am a nightclub accountant, count, uh, cash counter. Uh, but I'm really concerned that, I mean, the civil service is supposed to be assuring fairness and staffing. And it seems like you've really fallen down on the job. And it makes one wonder, like, are we under staffing so that we can then bring in outside uh, nonprofits to take the job? In the tenderloin, stuff is not working. And we should be doing the business of the city by the city. Um, in home care, you know, we have a two-tier thing. We really are county workers, but, you know, in a lower tier. So that's like a whole other issue. But it's, the, it's a similar kind of thing. We need to hire back all these people that there was this misunderstanding. We're past it. We need them. The city needs them. Work needs to be done by these professionals that have served the city in the past and can continue, continue and serve the needs that are so glaring right now. I am not in favor of, of turning more work over to unaccountable uh, outside uh, agencies that we have way less oversight of. There's just, you know, and, and, and they're rewarding themselves too much, too many consultants, too much being wasted on that. We've got to stop this and get back to doing the proper thing in San Francisco. And the civil service is a classic important commission and you need to stand up for our workers and our standards and are getting the job done and stop like giving a free uh, understaffing that's feeding the calls for uh, these outside agencies because they're not making the, they're not making the uh, grade, I'm sorry. I've lived in the city for over 45 years and um, it's not working. We need to have the city do, be responsible and take charge of the things that must be done. Thank you. Thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment in the room? You may come to the podium. Good afternoon. My name is Maria Cristina Gutierrez. I'm the executive director of Compañeros del Barrio, a nonprofit agency. And I come here to tell you how sad I am that we are used to exploit the workers in this city. I'm really sad to see how they use our needs and our suffering to take away the jobs from the people in this city. It never was so clear to me. I don't know who's responsible for apportioning these monies for the nonprofits. If he, that money, you know, you are actually contracting out with agencies like my, uh, the agency that I work for, uh, to not only take away the job from the people in the city and pay us really low wages while the, you know, not allowing the workers in the city to be able to get the type of wages that they should deserve. Uh, uh, but at the same time, 
for all of us who work in this nonprofit, we don't have no retirement plans. We have no right to unions. Our salaries are lousy. And at the same time, you know, uh, we never know if next year you're going to be funded or not. And what it does is for people that need the services, it's like this year we will give it to you, but next year we won't. With there we give you a thousand, and next year we give you zero, etc. That's not fair. The government of this city has the obligation to take over the role of this so-called nonprofit, to take over your role, to make sure that every single person in this city has health care, has housing, has right to education, and have a good, decent paying job. And I'm asking you, please, I don't know who will make this final decision, but reconsider what you're doing. You're taking jobs from people in, in the city, and you're using us to fight each other, to see each other as enemy when it's the government that is not providing for us. Please look into that. Please do so. Thank you. Thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment in the room? Okay, Elizabeth, do we have any? Oh, I'm sorry, please. Yeah, uh, my name is Steve Zeltzer. I'm with the United Front Committee for a Labor Party. And the testimony we've just heard is an example of the serious systemic problems we have in San Francisco. There's a lack of oversight of the nonprofits causing corruption, nepotism. Why are these workers doing the same work as city workers and being paid less, 30 to 40% less? I call that union busting. And this commission has a responsibility to put a halt to it. If you do the same work as a public worker, you should set, get the same pay. And there's an attack on civil service here and public workers uh, right, going on right now. And unfortunately, the union uh, that represent these workers, SEIU 1021, IAPTE, they know that they're attacking civil service, yet they've not mobilized their members. In fact, they haven't even informed their members about your attack on the list and civil service. This is union busting, and in the midst of, of the crisis, you're driving workers to do work at substandard wages. And these business districts, business districts which the city has pushed, are doing public work. They're doing laborers' work. They're doing all kinds of work that city workers should be doing. Why are you doing that? I'll, call, I'll tell you what it is. It's capitalism. It's profiteering. It's profiteering off of working people. And the labor movement has to stop it and has to fight it. Because what's happening in this country is working people are being driven to the streets uh, with robo-taxis and all kinds of automation, getting rid of them along with these nonprofits, which are used to get rid of public workers. And there's no oversight, and you admit that. The city admits that, that they can't do oversight on billions of dollars that they've given to nonprofits. It's a scandal. It's a systemic problem. And, and the other attack is on workers who've been terminated because they refuse to take a test, as has been pointed out. Public workers, SEIU members in Alameda and Los Angeles were not terminated. Why in San Francisco? Now, we understand the police. There's been a lawsuit against this commission, against the city, for terminating these workers. If it's the case that the police and firemen have lost that loss, have won that lawsuit, and they're going to be returning to work, the same should happen to miscellaneous employees. Why do we have to spend more money with lawyers when you should do the right thing and return these workers to their jobs? There's a shortage of staff, and one of the reasons there's a shortage of staff is that they're not testing for civil service. The effort to destroy civil service, which big corporations want, 
is an effort that is going to lead to more nepotism, more substandard wages, more corruption, and the destruction of really public resources and public services. Thank you. Thank you for your public comment. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, my name is Sergio Sosa, and I used to be working on La Raza Community Resource Center. I've been serving for 18 months for the community uh, during the pandemic. And uh, in the beginning of the uh, 2021, uh, some of my uh, co-workers were seeing things happening on inside the uh, uh, agency. And we stand up, we send a letter to the uh, board members to demanding our allegations and they are not listening to us. A few months later, we decide to stand up in front of the building and uh, asking for our rights for the workers. A few more uh, months later, they, uh, I'm sorry, uh, two weeks uh, after we start standing up on the front, they fire me. They're using uh, sexual harassment uh, accus accusations with a lot of allegations, they say, take me a year to fight for my dignity, but I fight it and I clean my name. And they're using a lot of women to lie just because I was standing up on the front of the building, using my rights and saying to the community what's going on inside the agency. We was wanted to, to help the agency to clean the director on the way he was taking the agency. And my question is, I don't know if you commissioners, you can investigate, get more details of the agency to see where they found the money, where they used the money to try to put me on jail. Take me a year to fight for myself. Take me, cost me a lot of money to find a lawyer or clean my name. And just because they want uh, the corruptions, the other co-workers that was covered, they raised my wage that time for silence me for not saying what I be seeing and what we are knowing in there. And everything is on record in here. You can go on public records, you can see what happened. But I'm, I feel free because I clean my name. And I feel bad because agencies are for working for community, for helping the community, but they are not doing it on the right way. And I demand asking if you guys can send someone to investigate how they're using the money for the nonprofit uh, organizations and shouldn't be stopping the uh, nonprofit organizations. That's it. Thank you. May I ask a question? Yes, please. What, what agency are you referring La to? La Raza Community Resource Center. Okay. Thank you. Any additional public comment in the room? Uh, Elizabeth, any public comment on the telephone? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. 
Uh, thank you. We appreciate all the public comment today. And uh, executive officer, we are ready to move to the next agenda item. We are on item 13, approval of minutes, regular meeting of September 18, 2023. Recommendation, adopt the minutes. Uh, commissioners, any comments, questions about the minutes of a meeting of September 18, 2023? If not, we'll take a motion and a second to uh, adopt the minutes. I moved. Go ahead. Second. We we have a motion and a second to adopt the minutes of our meeting of September 18, 2023. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, commissioners of roll call vote to uh, adopt the minutes of our meeting of September 18. Um, Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. And Commissioner Leon? Aye. Uh, and I vote aye. We have approved the minutes of our meeting of September, September 18, 2023. Uh, the next agenda item, please. Item four, announcement, announcement of changes to the agenda. Commissioners, I'm checking to see if we may be hearing something out of order today. Uh, Yes, um, I would like to um, move agenda items 11 and 12 uh, after the closed session to give uh, Vice President Favetti an opportunity to join the meeting. She's currently in an appointment. Uh, that means that the closed session will occur after agenda item 10. Commissioners, uh, we do not have any other changes to the agenda. Uh, thank you. We're ready for the next agenda item. Item five, human resources director's report. Director Eisen, welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, President Minor, members of the commission, uh, later in your agenda today, um, items 11 and 12, you'll see uh, two uh, rule changes that we're seeking. Um, I spoke about them last week on my in my director's report and uh, let you know that we would be uh, presenting you with a staff report um, and a request to consider amendments to certain aspects of your rules. Um, you'll hear more about them um, from our staff when these items come up. I just wanted to make some very general comments about it. Um, this is our next step in uh, seeking rule changes to modernize and expedite hiring while still protecting the basic tenants of the merit system um, with investments in technology and changes um, both in the city and in the world about how people apply and how they are hired 
and given our need to move this along much more quickly than we've been able to do in our existing context, we're asking the commission to consider specific rule changes and we've been working our way through them, starting with those that we believe either interfere or just simply don't mesh with our existing um, investments in our hiring modernization system. So you're going to be hearing from Steph about that today, and uh, I think we are working out a reasonable system where we provide you first with a staff report and give you a chance to consider it. We'll make presentations, and then, of course, once you've done that, and if you uh, agree to move forward, then um, we take those for informationals and meet and confer as needed with our labor organizations. So I'm looking forward to these items and to the commission's consideration of them. And uh, thank you. Happy to answer any questions or comments at this time. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, any questions for Director Eisen at this time? Commissioner Salveson. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> just a question about the um, uh, apparent invitation to some employees to return to work. Uh, now that there's um, the mandatory vaccination program is ended, are there? Um, can you make any comments on what's being done in that regard? I'm happy to provide more detailed comments at your next meeting. I will generally say that for employees who um, separated as a result of the uh, COVID vaccine policy that the city implemented, um, employees are all in varying. There's no consistent consistency. We've had some employees who retired. Uh, we have some employees who resigned and we have some employees who were separated um, non disciplinary separations for failing to meet MQs and your rules speak directly, especially to that in that last the second 2 instances retire employees who retired. It's a very different um, set of circumstances and I'm happy to provide you with a more detailed report at your next meeting in my executive executive director's report if that's helpful. Okay, appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Um, thank you, Commissioner Salveson for that question. I was going to make a similar request um, at uh, commission announcements and notifications at the end of our meeting. So. Uh, Director Eisen, we look forward to additional information next week. Okay. Um, ex excuse me. Excuse me. We um, we typically do allow public comment. Director Eisen, do you have any additional comments? Your report is over. Yes, it is. Okay. We do typically allow public comment on Director Eisen's report. If you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. My public comment is that I'll please, please state your name again. Speak where? State your name. Oh, my name's Melody Fontilla. Thank you. My comment is I was forced. I didn't, I wasn't ready to retire. I had been working. I was an excellent employee. My record speaks for itself. And if I had not retired, I would have lost my pension. Therefore, when I retired, I lost my seniority. And now I want to work. I want to come back to work because this was my career. And I had natural immunities, which they did not accept. And 
they did not accept my religious exemption at all. And the people that asked me those frivolous questions didn't have any right or know-how about how to distinguish between what was an acceptable religious exemption and what was not. I still don't have a definition to why my religious exemption was denied. And then, once again, natural immunities is a real occurrence, which was better than the vac vaccine, and that was not accepted. So in my, in, for me, this is tragic because I had to give up my career. I did not want to, I did not want to move in with my children. I had a place <clears throat> and now I can't afford where I live. I'm barely getting by and it's just not right. It's not right for this to be taken from me. I am, a, I, I was born and raised in San Francisco, worked here since I was 14, 13 years of age, have served this community for all, most of my life. And now I can't even get my job back with my seniority. That is just, it's not right. It's not right. And she didn't give, she hasn't given any kind of explanation as to, and I would like to find out what protocols they used in those religious exemptions. What protocol was used to deny uh, uh, natural immunities? And why wasn't I given a consideration to be tested? Oakland accepted people. They didn't make people resign. They didn't make people uh, who forced people to retire to lose their pensions. This is my career. And just think, if somebody came up to you and said, oh, we're going to snatch your, your career away. That's not right. It's not right. It's just not right. Uh, thank you for your additional public comment. Next speaker, please. And please state your name. My name is Selena Keene. I go by Miss K. Okay. I'm also um, very concerned to hear that this is being postponed until the next meeting or maybe to the end. Um, this is detrimental to us all. We all need our careers, our jobs, our livelihoods in order to take care of our families. I was disrespected and violated. While I was out on disability, I couldn't even rest. I have chronic conditions, okay? And I was pushed out. They were sending me uh, skelly notices while I was out on disability. Who does that? You guys know this is illegal. This is not policy. And no one else in any other department I had heard, I work for Human Service Agency, and yes, they did that, okay? We both are suffering. And you guys do not seem to get the gist of it. There are many of us that have been pushed out. And so what? We were retired. We were forced to retire. This is nothing that we, I am not even 60. What am I doing not working? You guys, I don't know how old you are, but you still have jobs. Okay. And this is unfair to anybody reasonable. Born and raised in San Francisco, served the same communities that Miss Melody Fontilla has served. This is ridiculous. We want our jobs back, and I don't know what protocol you want to put into it, Ms. Eisen, but it needs to change to accommodate everybody and not those chosen few who, hey, you might be cool friends with or some that was on admin leave, some weren't, some were putting out, put out on termination, but they were brought back. And again, if Alameda County did it, San Francisco can do it. You guys supposedly have 4,000 openings, 
Does that make sense? Not to bring us back? That's all I have to say. Uh, thank you. Again, my name is Kimberly Cox. I work for SFMTA. And like I said, this has been devastating. I had to file bankruptcy, almost lose my home. And I have a son that I still have to take care of. We would have been out in those streets. This is not fair. And matter of fact, I know you, Mr. Leon, from DPW in 2011. But on with that, that there is a letter out there that we have copies of that are welcoming certain individuals back. You cannot pick and choose. If one comes back, we all should come back. And I'm a native San Franciscan as well. Both my parents worked for the city and county, one for the school district and one for SFMTA. They would have never thought in a million years that this would be happening to us with all the other crazy stuff going on in San Francisco. And people don't really know that this is happening. And when we mention it, they're like, you've got to be kidding. So I plead with you, Ms. Ison, to do something about the situation, because that is only fair. Make your wrongs right. That's all we ask. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Any additional public comment in the room? Please come forward. Hello, my name's Monique Flambieris, and I'm here to support my fellow coworkers so that they can get their jobs back, get their benefits back, and be fully employed and have their careers again because being pushed out or forced to retire is completely unfair and unacceptable where, where we're in a city that's, that's suffering because we don't have enough staff. So the services that they provide are extremely valuable and they, they need their careers back. And San Francisco also needs them to have their careers back. Thank you. Thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment in the room? Elizabeth, any, uh, yes. Yeah, Steve Zeltzer again, United Public Workers for Action. And I think we have a double standard here. If it's true that some people are being invited back to their jobs, uh, it's an unfair practice. It's an unfair labor practice. And the question is, where are the unions in San Francisco for public employees? They should be here defending all public employees' right to fair treatment and equal treatment under the law. It's not happening. And that's why these workers are here today. They've been discriminated and retaliated against. As has been said, Alameda County and Los Angeles did not terminate workers who refused to take the vaccine. They did not. So why in San Francisco was this done? Why? Who did it? Mayor London Breed, the Department of Human Resources Executive Director? Why did they do this to discriminate and retaliate against these workers? I think it's another example of union busting tactics. And some of these workers who were retaliated against were also removed from the negotiating committee, even though they were on by Zoom. Can you imagine that? You're removed from a negotiating committee for not taking a vaccine. You've been elected by your bargaining group and you're told you have to take the vaccine even though you're on a Zoom. What is going on here? 
I think there needs to be a, an ex investigation exposure of this. It's retaliatory, it's discriminatory, and city workers, public workers have to be treated equally and fairly, and it's not happening in the city and county of San Francisco. And again, I say the unions that represent these workers should be here, and they shouldn't have made the deal in the first place that allowed their termination. A deal was made to allow that, because in Alameda and Los Angeles, they were not terminated. Why in San Francisco? Thank you for, thank you for your comments. Uh, any additional public comment in the room? Okay. Uh, we appreciate your public comments. Director Eisen has agreed to make a report at our next meeting, providing more detail. We invite you to come back. You can either participate by attending the meeting or by calling in and your public comments will be taken by telephone. Um, so thank you and uh, I hope to see most of you next week with your additional public comments after receiving additional information from Director Eisen. So, uh, President Minor. Yes, we do have two callers on the line. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said there were none. We are ready to, for those public comment and then, uh, Commissioner Leon. Yeah. After. Caller, please state and spell your name for the record. Uh, hi, my name is Cheryl Thornton and my name is spelled C H E R Y L T H O R N T O N. Um, and I want to um, say I am not on city time while making this comment. Uh, what I do want to say is during the pandemic, I worked on the front lines. Um, uh, during the pandemic, we were not allowed to have telecommuting privileges, regardless of the fact that some people had um, medical issues. And uh, one of my workers ended up um, succumbing to COVID, which we believe that he uh, acquired on the job. So I'm here today to support these workers um, because there was there was a lot of misinformation that was going on at the time of the pandemic, and it, we were all um, we were all it was just a gifting game, I guess. People were trying to figure out what to do, and so what I wanted to say is is that these workers should be given their jobs back because I had a worker that lost his life was not given an accommodation and he can't be there to see his grandchildren or his children, you know, um, get married, grow up, whatever. So I think that the city needs to right a wrong because if Alameda County did it and LA did it, then San Francisco should do it. And I also wanna say that you need to do a better job in taking care of frontline workers, the people who come here every day and risk their lives for the public. And um, we're not being protected by the city. So uh, um, I think that's all I needed to say. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Elizabeth, we're ready for the next public comment. Hmm. Caller. Uh. Caller, please state your name for the record. Uh, yes, my name is Dante Vickers, it's spelled D-O-N-T-E, uh, last name V-I-C-K-E-R-S. Um, I'm a business rep for Local 1414, 
And um, I agree with everybody um, about the jobs in San Francisco. A lot of my um, members are had to retire or they had to um, forfeit their jobs in September, I think, of 2022, I believe it was, or 2000, yes, 2022. Um, but with that said, it's a lot of people um, that want to come back to their to their jobs, and they have to start all over, meaning that they don't get no type of um, um, recognition for being actually working for the city. They lose all their seniority. And I don't believe that's fair. I believe that these guys ought to be made whole. These women and the men of San Francisco. I believe that they should be made whole again, come back to their jobs. It's a lot of specialty jobs out there, um, and they are not being filled right now because we can't find anyone to fill them. And like everybody was saying, in San Francisco is 4,000 job opportunities, and a lot of uh, the jobs would get filled if um, we were able to bring our uh, workers back to work. That's all I got to say. Uh, thank you for your public comment. Uh, Elizabeth, any additional public comment? President Minor, no further public comment at this time. Okay, any additional public comment in the room? Okay, we have a comment from Commissioner Leon. Oh, it's a question for Director Eisen. Okay. Director Eisen, where can I find a copy of the COVID return to work policy? Uh, it's not, it, a few, I'll report on this at the next meeting, but I'll just say, first of all, there is substantial litigation going on. So there's only so much that we can really talk about in open session in the commission. Um, second of all, you in your own rules um, have rules governing um, what happens when a resigned employee wishes to seek reemployment with the city. That's covered in your rules. So I'll talk about that in my report. And uh, employees who, um, chose to um, retire is a completely different question. I don't think there's any specific rules covering it. At that point, once you've retired, uh, I would have to refer to the retirement system about what it would take to unretire and then reapply for city employment. And one more question. In light of the public comment, uh, without jeopardizing the legal position of the city, uh, in your report, uh, would it be possible to get a breakdown by department uh, the number of people offered to return to work and number of people who, were, who did not accept or and or terminated? I'm not aware that employees have been offered to return to work. Okay. Uh, we have employees who are on leave, who were on leave and um, their leaves, some of them, their leaves have ended and the conditions under under which they remain employed have changed. It was a condition of employment. Um, but employees who have separated from the city, um, either due to resignation or retirement, um, or um, uh, separations, non-disciplinary separations due to failure to meet the minimum qualifications are all very specific uh, employment situations of all of those groups. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you. 
Director Eisen, we look forward to the uh, additional information next week. We are ready, I'm sorry, at our next meeting, we are ready for the next agenda item. Item 6, Executive Officer's Report, Civil Service Commission Priority Goals and Objectives for Fiscal Year 2023 through 24. Recommendation, adopt the report. Commissioners, um, we are very happy that uh, we have a full uh, commission and this is the time that we are introducing the uh, goals and objectives for fiscal year 23 through 24. Um, some of the things that I would want to highlight are the rural amendment proposals. As you can tell that uh, there has been a different approach working uh, collaboratively with uh, the Department of Human Resources and the Municipal Transportation Agency. Uh, and I will just read a few of the bullet points here. Evaluate hiring barriers by meeting with stakeholders. And this includes human resources staff, hiring managers, employer organizations with a commitment to removing barriers to expedite hiring with a focus on equity. Uh, delete rules that have expired or are no longer applicable. And then uh, rule series 22 employee separation procedures. Uh, the department would just like to provide clarification to employees who are unfamiliar with civil service commission rules. And that uh, if our employees are represented uh, by a collective bargaining agreement that would supersede the separation rules, but we are required to still have the separation rules there uh, specifically for uh, there are a few employees who are not represented, so the rules would apply. And then when it comes to future employment restrictions, that applies for all classifications in that the matter is appealable to the Civil Service Commission. Um, and also rule 410, we did not have a chance to do that last year. And that had to do with the approval required for the acceptance of non-contemporaneous documentation. That's a simple one there. Uh, policy amendment proposals, as you are well aware, we are looking at proposing amendments to our personal service contract policy. Really, uh, with so much that has happened since the pandemic, to find ways that we can efficiently move this forward to also not only uh, when there is a state of emergency, so departments of where what can be possible, but also just looking at the overall process and provide clarification so departments are aware that when it is required to come before the Civil Service Commission. We are also looking at uh, the policy on future employment restrictions. This was introduced last year, but we did not have an opportunity to address that to reconsider the ability to remove permanent citywide bans in various type of situations. Um, procedures, as you are well aware, uh, we are still evaluating uh, our procedures on the hearing of equal employment opportunity appeals. It has been a continuous learning process. I do have to emphasize for our um, representatives from the Equal Employment Opportunity Division that there it has been a traumatic uh, difference uh, if, as you recall, in our year end report in the number of appeals that have been resolved or appear before the commission. And that took a tremendous effort in our equal uh, employment opportunity division. Um, and then also um, our deputy director is working 
with uh, Regal and Laserfish in establishing a database for appeals and inspection service requests. So not only as coming up with a way to remind uh, departments of when staff reports are due, but also to be able to sort through our pending appeals, depending on the concerns the commission has that we have a system that's available that uh, we'll be able to sort that versus how we currently are using an out system manually entering things in onto an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, with the website, that has been uh, a dramatic difference because we have uh, a new platform, but something that we are quickly learning that we need to create the tab for frequently asked questions. What is great about the new platform now, instead of jumping from tab to tab to search for something, most of everything is on the home page and they can just uh, scroll down to look further, whether it's how to submit an appeal or how to prepare a staff report, all of that is available. And then with the uh, racial equity action plan, I do want to emphasize that um, after recently attending the racial equity retreat, Many departments have many questions about the merit system and understanding uh, what are ways departments can expand racial equity uh, and understanding why do the rules even exist in the first place and uh, the history. And as I said before, um, when uh, I was uh, unexpectedly introduced at the racial equity retreat, Many departments had questions for the Civil Service Commission, so we plan to do uh, much more training involved and partnering up with departments. Any questions? Uh, commissioners, any questions on the priority goals and objectives for this fiscal year? Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Um, thank you, Executive Officer Ng. I thought your um, Priority goals and objectives are all um, all correct in what we're looking to do in the coming year. Uh, my only question is, I, am I correct that we still have um, an opening in our very small staff at the commission, or do, are we full? Uh, we are in the, uh, the announcement has been posted. Applications have been submitted and we're at the next step now. So, I mean, I would just say that um, one of our goals would be to um, complete the hiring for any open positions. Since we have a small staff, we need to have everybody on deck. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Leon. Um, I think this is very, uh, a good document is a very forward looking document and especially uh, the piece about the racial equity lens uh, and the um, entity leaders. Uh, I, I really uh, like that. I do have one question on the policy amendment proposals with regard to policy and procedures on personal service contract. Will we have any discussions about P, uh, PSC oversight after the commission has uh, voted for uh, an approval of uh, certain PSCs? There will. Um, we've had, uh, uh, just to give our new commissioners some background, we did recently uh, have uh, two meeting discussions. One was an open forum for anyone, uh, all stakeholders, to 
uh, concerns, uh, what we can do to uh, efficiently and expedite the personal service contract approval process. And then we did have one discussion uh, where the executive officer and the city attorney gave some presentations on a high number of possibilities that the commission is to consider. And then at the next commission meeting, the commission asked that if we can actually provide a draft of the proposed uh, policy changes with some recommendations. But again, this is still at the beginning where the commission has the full authority um, as to if there are additions, uh, if there are questions, what we can possibly do. Um, I understand that uh, a very thorough detailed report has already been prepared that the commission will have time to look into because um, based on our several meetings that we've had with contract managers, personal service contract coordinators, um, the city attorney's office, and that includes not only our own city attorney, but the contract city attorney, and also with the city administrator's office, the office of contract administration, uh, the Department of Human Resources and the Department of Technology. So as you're well aware, we have several experts that have been continuously meeting with us and uh, providing us input. Commissioner Leon, are you, do you have a follow-up? No? Okay. City Attorney. Um, Kate Kimberlin, Deputy City Attorney. I just wanted to add to what um, Executive Director Eng mentioned in terms of the um, upcoming expectation that there'll be a draft of the policy for the Commission's consideration discussion on October 16th, and that is still the expectation. And the reason, part of the reason for the timing on this and the reason that we're trying to move forward is that this has all been done in collaboration with um, the city administrator's office and DHR's attempts to upgrade the system in which personal service contracts are entered and the pro you know, there's an automated process where they will go through a much simpler, much more transparent system. Um, and so they're in the process of developing that system and some of the questions that they have in process of development, you know, how they develop the system will depend on whether this commission decides to alter any of its policies or, you know, update any um, anything within the policy because it hasn't been updated since 2014. So that was a little bit of the urgency in trying to get some of these things addressed. And so hopefully we'll have a nice opportunity to have that discussion in two weeks. Thank you. Thank you, city attorney. Um, Executive officer, uh, thank you for this. Um, we are in a very busy period and I think you've done an excellent job in uh, bringing forward goals and objectives for the next year. I, I have two uh, just kind of quick comments. Uh, thinking about the 1426 vacancy that we have, um, I would like to see us track time to hire. Time to hire. Um, we, uh, Director Eisen reported recently that uh, they hit the ballpark with 99 days, I believe, for one of the continuous hiring position. 
And uh, I would hope that uh, given our small staffing and our needs that we can uh, beat that 99 days. And uh, so um, it's not necessary for priority and goals, but when you report um, in the next few meetings on an, an update on hiring that position, if you could let us know um, the timeline to hire, but also it would be interesting for us to understand where the snags are in our system that have caused delays. Okay, my my second comment, uh, we had the grand jury report uh, this year, and one of the recommendations specifically dealt with uh, a request that there be coordinated training between the commission and DHR. And I think it got captured under training, but I just think it would be helpful given all the publicity and attention that the grand jury report received that we put an asterisk and a footnote uh, so that through the year we can track that that training in fact occurred. Uh, those are my two comments. Uh, commissioners, any additional comments? If not, we will take a motion and a second to adopt the report. I, oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Salveson. I was going to make the you're going to make the motion. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I move the we adopt the report with the two additions. One that um, President Miner said about the adding the um, reference to the grand jury training comment and um, adding the goal of completing hiring for open positions. Second as amended. We have a motion and a second to uh, adopt the report uh, as amended on the floor today. Uh, if you have public comment on the motion, if you're in the room, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, and no public comment in the room. We will move to the roll call vote to uh, adopt the report on priority goals and objectives for the commission for the current fiscal year. Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have adopted our report for uh, a report of goals and priorities for the current fiscal year. And again, executive officer and our deputy director, thank you for your work. We are ready for the next agenda item. We are now on the ratification agenda. All matters on the ratification agenda are considered by the Civil Service Commission to be non-contested and will be acted upon by a single vote of the commission. There will be no separate discussion on these items unless the request is made, in which event the matter shall be removed from the ratification agenda and considered as a separate item. Item 7, review of requests for approval of proposed personal services contracts, Recommendation of the Human Resources Director, adopt the report, approve the request for proposed personal services contracts, notify the Office of the Controller and the Office of Contract Administration. 
Okay, uh, commissioners before us is the ratification agenda. Uh, I will call each commissioner's name. Please indicate if there are any PSCs you would like to pull for additional discussion. If you would indicate both the department name and the PSC number, that would help me keep track. Um, Commissioner Crawley. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, four one six seven six twenty three twenty three. City Administrator. The second one I have. Hold on a second. I'm sure. still looking for the first one. That's on the first page. First, first PSC. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. That's Thank okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm ready for the second one. Second one is Public Utilities Commission four one four five eight. 2324. Okay, I have that one. And I just have a question regarding PSC 47743 1718 Public Health. What page is that one on? That is on uh, uh, the top of. Uh, I see it. Mm -hmm. One, two, three, four, uh, page nine. Excuse mm -hmm. me. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Any additional contracts to pull? The only additional one I have, um, which really just is to confirm what is in the report that of a plan to report in four years, is uh, Department of Technology 48964-2324. Bottom of the second page. And Commissioner Leon. Um. Four five eight two six two three two four controller on page six. And I have a quick question on page six, the last one, three two eight two zero two three two four MTA. Okay, thank you. And one more. Sorry. Okay. Uh, no, actually, um, uh, Commissioner Crawley called that one already. Okay. Right. All right. Good. Two, three, four, six. Madam Chair, I move the balance that have not been called out for the respect to this uh, committee. So I will move all items that were not called out by other commissioners. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Crawley. May I have a second? Second. We have a motion and a second to approve the ratification agenda minus the six pulled contracts. If you're in the room and you have public comment on the motion, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Naj Daniels with SEIU 1021. And I'm asking that PSC 485822223 City Administrator on page eight be also pulled from the ratification agenda. Madam Chair, can you ever restate that? 485822223, the city administrator on page eight. This is a contract for uniform security guards. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Ms. Daniels. Um, okay. Any additional public comment on the ratification agenda, agenda item number seven? Elizabeth, any public comment on the telephone? President Minor, no public comment at this time. 
Okay. Uh, Commissioner, yes, please. Come to the podium. Yeah. Uh, again, Steve Zeltzer, United Front Committee for the Labor Party. I also support pulling this uh, city administrator for contracting out service jobs. Um, again, why aren't we hiring city workers to do this work? Why are we contracting out to other agencies? They're going to be substandard wages, substandard conditions of these workers. And I, I don't think that's the way we want to be going in City and County of San Francisco. So I support pulling that and rejecting it. Uh, thank you. Hello, my name is Melody Fontilla, for the record. And I, I'm really not sure how to adequately say what I need to say, but the um, PSC uh, 32820, 2003, I'm thinking in 2004, it's the Municipal uh, Transportation Agency to spend um, $2.5 million for a survey. Um, and if that could be addressed in some kind of way that I understand or as to a reason why it shouldn't be pulled because I just don't see what, why would we wanna spend that kind of money? That's one of the ones the commission has pulled for further discussion. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Any additional comments? Okay, we will move to the roll call vote on the ratification agenda minus the seven pulled contracts. Uh, Vice President, I'm sorry, uh, Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved the ratification agenda. We are now ready to uh, discuss the items that were pulled for separate discussion. The first one on page six of the agenda is 41676, City Administrator. Who is with us? Aha. Thank you. Good afternoon, Joan Lubomirsky, Office of the City Administrator. Depending on what questions you would have, I would either respond to them or there's a member of the, uh, from uh, a representative from the department okay. who could respond. Uh, Commissioner Crowley. I'm on. Thank you, uh, Ms. Lubomirsky. Um, question, just uh, in what I read in the details of this, I'm wondering why local 261 laborers aren't uh, covering this work. Look, we contacted Local 261 affirmatively, and they indicate in here that they have no objection. I saw that. I just wanted to reaffirm that that was the case in correspondence going back and forth. Oh, it's the, the emails that we exchanged okay. are, are, are here attached. All right. Thank you very much. No further questions, Madam Chair. Okay. Uh, any additional questions? All right. Commissioner Crawley, you want to make a motion? Uh, Madam Chair, I move item 4167 or 41676-2323, City Administrator. Second. We have a motion and a second to approve 41676. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. Hi, my name is Selena Keene again, Ms. K. <laughs> um, I also am concerned about spending any additional monies contracting this, this kind of work out. I actually come from a construction background <laughs> and uh, used to put people to work in the trades uh, through Ella Hill Hutch 
Community Center in Fillmore, San Francisco for about 10 years. And this work can be done by Park and Rec, DPW. It doesn't make any sense pulling plants and removing, I mean, to tr contract it out. It just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, you know, if the city is really trying to preserve money and uh, make sure they don't spend, you know, unnecessarily, uh, just let the city workers do their jobs. And that's what I'm going to say. Thank you. Thank you. Any additional public comment? Elizabeth, any public comment on the line? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, uh, commissioners, the roll call vote to approve 41676 city administrator, commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 41676 uh, city administrator. Thank you for being here. We will move to the second pulled item, which is controller 45826, 45826. Who's with us from the controller's office? This is Mark Perliti from the controller's office. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, we can. Thank you for being here. Uh, Commissioner Leon. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I have some questions for you. The first one is, what is the existing situation and what are you trying to solve uh, with this uh, proposed PSC? Uh, the existing situation as far as our staffing or the, the projects that we'll be working on? Uh, that uh, the proposed work that to be contracted out. Right, so this would be proposed work for uh, enhancements uh, to the PeopleSoft, the citywide PeopleSoft systems, uh, as well as um, fixes when they come up. Um, part of our long-term plan to increase adoption of the citywide PeopleSoft systems. We've had significant efforts over the past couple of years to staff up our department. Um, we're almost fully staffed, and this would help us um, deliver more of those enhancements that the departments and central agencies have been requesting. Is it a centralization issue because of these uh, distinct software or I'm not sure if I'm using the right terminology system? I think that's what I'm it's the, these are the citywide, uh, the central citywide uh, systems. Okay, so the financial system, procurement, uh, human resources, payroll, learning um, and budget systems. And uh, on page 11, uh, on 3B, you list a number of classifications. They appear to be local 21 classifications. Correct. Is that correct? Yes. Why can't local 21 uh, incumbents in those classifications do the work that is being proposed to be contracted out? So again, we're we're fully staffed. Um, there's just additional work that that we would need and we we asked um, all the department CIOs across the city if they had any staff that were available and um, none of them responded with availability. And have you talked to local 21 about this and what was the response if so? Uh, we informed local 21 just through the, through this process. And you never got a response back from the union? Um, I don't believe we did specifically. And then one last question. Yeah, no, no, sorry, I confirmed no response. Okay. So it's a no that they never respond back to you? During during their period for review, no, we got no response. Okay. One last question. What is you you cite the specialized nature of the work? What is that specialized work? 
so it's um, functional and, and technical uh, analysis and development of uh, PeopleSoft systems. I don't get it. Can you elaborate on that? What does that mean? Sure. So um, the city uh, purchases uh, licenses for PeopleSoft um, and from from Oracle, and we 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 own those systems. We maintain them, and in order to uh, continue to improve them to meet the city's needs, several of the regulatory requirements, um, we have to configure and often customize those systems. Um, so again, we have uh, almost a hundred person team in house in the controller's office who's able to do that. Um, but then again, as we get these project requests, um, it, it's the having that additional capacity to respond to those requests and continue to improve the functionality of those systems. Mm. So coding, development, um, functional analysis. Mm. So earlier you mentioned about uh, ha not having enough staff in those classifications listed in 3B. If you did have uh, enough sufficient staff in those classifications, could that work be, uh, could that work be done by city employees rather than having it contracted out or it's to work so specialized that none of the incumbents in those classifications, if you had additional staffing, uh, could do the work. Sorry, one, one more time. Okay. So earlier you mentioned that you didn't have enough staff in those classifications listed in 3B to do the work. Correct. Right. And then you also explained the specialized nature of the work as proposed in your PSC. So if you did have sufficient staff in those classifications, could those additional workers do that work? Or is it so specialized that even if you did have additional staff that you wouldn't be able to do that work in house? I see Jack's on, do you wanna take this one, Jack? Yeah, hey Mark, uh, hi everybody. I'm Jack Wood, I'm the director of the systems division for the controller's office. Um, and and that's, a, that's a great question. Um, we uh, hired the uh, professional services um, Usually in the cases where we're doing something new, brand new. So our staff ha have not had any exposure to like a new technology um, or a new application. Uh, so that's generally um, when we use them. Um, so, so the answer is no, the existing staff uh, don't know how to do this because it's brand new technology or a brand new application where we, we wanna bring in experts. I don't have further questions. Okay. Uh, thank you, Commissioner. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. So I guess my question is a follow-up to uh, Commissioner Leong is, uh, is there, and I may have read this in a detail, but is there a provision for training these folks on this going forward and how many? Yeah, um, I mean, going forward, uh, you know, after we, we have some, experts come in to help us, you know, stand something up or implement something new. Yeah, uh, every contract we have has knowledge transfer where the consultants will work with our staff to make sure we know how to support um, the new system or the new application uh, once they're gone. Is there a time frame on that transfer of knowledge? Uh, it's, it's kind of project by project, but, but generally, um, it's usually at least two months, two or three months of, uh, transition. And then definitely after, if it's a new application, after it's live, we have the consultants stay so they can help, uh, deal with problems and then continue the knowledge transfer, uh, for a little bit after go live. Thank you. I have no further questions, Madam Chair. 
Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, are you ready for a motion? Uh, I motion to approve uh, PSC 32820-2324 MTA you. for two and a half million. Uh, yeah, yeah, two and a half million. It's a controller, four. the one above. Oh, that. controller, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two four five eight two six two three two four controller for seven million dollars. Sorry, I misspoke. Okay. Thank you. Second. We have a motion and a second to approve four five eight two six. If you are in the room and have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. Oh, again, Melody Fontilla. So the the Department of the Controller stated that he did not get a response from the union. So my question is, is like my union didn't fight for me. And it seems like this union is not fighting because in, in my understanding, you can look for the professional help that has this specific job skill and hire it and, as opposed to contracting it out, spending $7 million. And so I just want to reiterate my unions, our unions are throwing us, you know, uh, not responding to things that they should be responding to, um, and they're being incompetent about representing its members in an inadequate way. Because, like was said earlier, someone should be fighting for me to be able to get my job back, and that's not happening. And if I am a forced retiree, I'm just kind of curious, has this ever been done before? You know, and if it hasn't been done before, is there some kind of protocol that needs to be put in place? Is there something that needs to address this issue? And um, I just bring it up because it's the question I'm going to bring up later to get an actual response. Thank you. Thank you. Any additional public comment? Uh, Elizabeth Minor, no yes. public comment at this time. Okay, commissioners, the roll call vote on four five eight two six controller seven million dollars. Uh, Commissioner Crawley, aye. Commissioner Salveson, aye. Commissioner Leon, aye. And I vote aye. We have approved four five eight two six controller's office. Thank you for being here. We are ready to move to the next pull contract, which is MTA three two eight two zero twenty three twenty four. Hi, my name is Evan Knopf. I'm an urban planner with the MTA and the performance and analytics group and the transit group. Uh, we work on Muni, of course. Um, yeah, this, uh, this project, this is for a, um, a survey that only happens every few years. It's for the onboard customer survey for Muni. And so what this actually does is that uh, we go onboard vehicles to um, survey uh, survey our customers to understand who they are, what kind of trips they're making, um, so we can better plan service. And it's also part of our Title VI requirements for federal reporting. Uh, the last time we did this was in 2015, as the, when we started the process, and the surveying actually occurred in 2016. So we have no uh, post-COVID data on things like demographics, what, try to, what kind of trips people are making. Um, this is critical for our work. 
Um, and it requires, uh, to do, get a statistically a significant sample, it requires 5% of our ridership being surveyed. Uh, right now, we're at about 450,000 people riding uh, Muni every day. So as you can imagine, it's kind of a Herculean task, right, to get this many surveyors in place. Uh, we also use, um, uh, we also, it also kind of requires like a expertise and statistics that is um, not something that we normally need to use at MTA uh, to do these surveys of this scale. Um, so for all of these reasons, this is why this has previously been something that we've contracted out. And it's also, uh, if you look at our peer agencies like New York MTA, LA Metro, they also contract this out uh, because it's not really something, once the survey is wrapped up, which it takes about um, a year to do the actual surveying, um, this isn't something that's like ongoing work. Um, so yeah, but I'm happy to answer any questions about it. Okay, thank you for your presentation um, and attempting to anticipate questions. Uh, Commissioner Leong. Thank you for the presentation. I just have one simple question. Yeah. Uh, I understand the need to do this contract. Uh, if I read correctly, the last contract uh, for this exact work, work was for $950,000. Yes. Yeah. And then now it's being proposed at $2.5 million. Was yes. there a change of work scope? What uh, what happened? It was a change in the in the funding. It wasn't actually the change in the scope. So we re previously received funding from MTC, and so we do not have that funding for this uh, survey cycle. I didn't take a smart pill. What does that mean? So it means that like the money that we that we came to the city for to commission out for, or sorry, to contract out for was less because we received funding from our regional transportation. Uh, commission, uh, which is like a, the regional governance for uh, for the Bay Area for transportation. So we weren't actually using city f as much city funds, but the project was about the same scale. Right. So this money is coming from the city, the city. city yes. operating funds? Yeah, as opposed to the region. Or a combination, rather, sorry. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. That's a follow-up to a uh, mm -hmm. question. I'm making an assumption, but I'm hoping that you guys went to the MTC for some other funding and grants prior to coming to us. Yes, yes, we have actually been working uh, with the MTC because they're also um, helping put together kind of like a like a bench of contractors just to kind of like keep an eye on what's going on and also to be in conversation with them. But they're aware of this effort as well. Thank you. Okay. One last question: If yes. the scope hasn't changed, mm -hmm. notwithstanding the funding source, right? Why would be there such a big difference between 950 and 2.5 million dollars? Was that the total scope before? Uh, that's what I read. If I read it correctly, it was 950, and now it's 2.5 mil. Okay, I I thought it was in more in the region of like 1.5 million before, but I could be incorrect if that's what's in your application materials. So I read a PSC dated back to 2018. I'm trying to find that page. Uh, it was for $950,000. Uh, $950, yeah, this is on page uh, 86 of the documentation we received. I think we're also anticipating some changes to the cost of labor as well as just having some um, area to, to work with, but we're trying to make this as efficient as possible. There's a more than twofold in labor costs, and I don't have any more questions. Okay, uh, Commissioner Leon, any additional questions, Commissioners? Does someone want to make a motion? 
um, to approve 32820 MTA. I move to approve 32820-2324. Thank you, second. Commissioner. We have a motion and a second to approve 32820. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three. K again. I'm just checking to find out if it was supposed to be at 1.5 and you see 2.5 on this document. Why are you agreeing to something that you should verify whether those means are necessary? Thank you. Okay. Any additional public comment? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, the roll call vote to approve 32820. Commissioner Crawley? No. Commis Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 32820 by a vote of 3 to 1 with Commissioner Crawley voting no. The next pool of contract is 41458 PUC, $15 million. Who's with us from the commission, the PUC? Hi, I'm Shandria Hale. I'm the PSC coordinator with SFPUC, and Tedman Lee is here from the project team. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Commissioner Crawley. I, uh, just two quick questions. So one is, is I'm going to ask for the timeline to check in after four years on this, even though it's one continuous contract. Uh, the second question off, I have to ask is how often is this type of work done? Sorry, commissioner. The first question was what? Is uh, a four year check back with this contract, uh, checking back to make sure that the work is completely being uh, perform to specs and the second question is how often is this request done with respect to spe um, the specialized engineering projects uh, with seismic and other things going on thank you the four-year check back is perfectly fine that uh, agreeable to that how often does this work get done we have a lot of capital improvement projects up throughout the system these, this contract is specifically to address a number of projects in the Sonoma Valley. Uh, whatever work that can be done in-house by PUC, we're doing. We've offered public works um, work as well. And it's anything that was not done or anything that cannot be done by PUC and cannot be done by public works uh, requiring specialized consultant services, um, then we have uh, put into this contract. Uh, I have no further questions, I'm sure. Thank you for that answer. Um, uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, any additional questions? If not, we'll take a motion and a second to approve uh, 41458 PUC. So, Madam Chair, I'll move 41458-2324 on a condition of checking in in four years with the Public Utilities Commission. I so move. Second. We have a motion and a second to approve 41458 with uh, a caveat of a check-in, uh, meaning a report to the commission um, after four years. Uh, if you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. 
President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. Uh, Commissioners, the roll call vote to approve 4145823324 PUC. Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 4145823324 PUC. The next uh, pulled contract is 48964 Department of Technology. Who's with us from technology? Good afternoon, commissioners. This is Jolie Guinness with the Department of Technology. And thank you to Commissioner Salveson for reminding me about the four-year report. We will be more than happy to do so. My apologies for um, the omission. Uh, no, there was no omission. You did put in the materials that you would plan to report right. in four years. And I just wanted to pull the contract to make it a condition of approval that there would be a four year check in. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I think that in our, um, PSD procedures in our next iteration, we might be able to have a place to check a box. So it's, you know, we don't have to pull a contract if they've already indicated they're going to um, check in. So um, with that, thank you very much um, to the Department of Technology and I move to approve this PSC 48964-2324 with the four year check-in. Yeah, thank you. And, and a second? Second. We have a motion and a second to approve 48964 Department of Technology with a four year check in after four years a report to the commission. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Commissioners, the roll call vote to approve 48964, Department of Technology. Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 48964 uh, Technology. Thank you for being here and answering our questions and agreeing to the four-year uh, report back. Thank we you. Are ready Thank you. We're ready for the next uh, pulled contract, which is 48582-2223, City Administrator. This is the contract that SEIU uh, asked to be pulled. Um, who is here for the City Administrator? Um, good afternoon, President Minor and Commissioners. My name is Lynn Call. I am mental PSE Coordinator for the Office of Contract Administration. And I represent this PSC 48582 um, 2223 for us needed armed, 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 with OCA. Okay, uh, thank you for being here. You were breaking up a little bit. We'll see how we do. Um, Ms. Daniels, did you want to come to the mic?
Good afternoon, Naj Daniels, union representative with SEIU Local 1021. I'm here asking to pull this contract because we still haven't had an opportunity to meet with Ms. Lynn. You know, we're still trying to um, schedule some dates. We're concerned about this PSC because we have security guards. We have actually two classes. We have an 8202 class, which is security guards. We also have an 8204 IPO, which is the institutional police officer classification. Um, the reasoning in this contract was a little off to me as well, um, that they are short-term contracts. I've been around this rodeo again with the contracted security at Laguna Honda and at Zuckerberg Hospital, which displaced cadet positions, which I'm still fighting to get those positions back and so I'm really um, alarmed at the office the city administrator's office on trying to have five different uh, contracts under this personal service contract which would authorize any city department to use security guards when they claim that it is a short-term use if there is short-term use let's use our own personal, let's use our own civil service employees. Let's hire up so that we can have a pool of security guards if that's what's needed for short-term projects, events, and such that are being referenced in this contract. So that those are our two points from the union that we would like to continue meeting with the department before they move forward on this contract to raise the impacts that we believe are going to happen to the two classifications and also to ask since this is a modification what is the hiring status that has occurred um, at the original onset of the approval for the six million dollars and how has that either impeded the city from hiring more 8202 and 8204 class employees and also um yeah, just basically what has been the status of the original contract and why is there a need for $8 million more dollars? Thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, let's turn to the department and have you uh, address the issues that have been raised by SEIU and start with an update for us about uh, any difficulties you've had in scheduling meetings. Yes, um, I would like to address a couple of questions that have been raised. One was that um, this PSC is a modification um, for the PSC that was approved for $6 million, and that was for three years. And um, um, procurement um, processes pretty complex. While we are in the middle of doing the procurement process, we realized that we would like to have this contract um, for five years. So we increase the amount uh, to add $8 million. So um, this meeting is for a request for approval of this amendment to the contract to um, another like $8 million to total of $14 million. Um, that's one part. So we gave union um, on, on the original PSC, it was approved uh, without objection from SEIU. And then um, we submitted this, we gave 60 day notice and just um, last Monday or Tuesday, um, Ms. Natch um, requested OCA and asked um, questions about this PSC. Um, her concern was um, whether this PSC is for um, Laguna Honda Hospital or uh, Zuckerberg um, General Hospital. Um, to respond to her, no, the, this PSC is not for long-term security guard contract for um, DPH because 
both hospitals um, have their own contracts and those are for the long-term contract. And this PSC is for us needed uh, for any um, arm or security guard um, services. Um, for example, it could be like one week, two months, three months as needed. Um, I don't think that um, the long-term PSC that is already in place by the city um, can do this job. Um, so um, to assure that this PSC is, is, is uh, one, I want to assure that um, this PSC is not for those hospital. Number two is that um, OCA will be the one in the approval path to approve any um, as needed security guard services. So we will be um, making sure that these are not for long-term services. Um, another th thing I want to mention is that um, we want to give instances of um, what these kind of security guard contract will be utilized. So I would like to call upon my colleague Anise Acevedo to mention um, about some services. Thank you, Lynn. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Anise Acevedo. I'm a procurement manager with the Office of Contract Administration. Uh, so I just wanted to chime in and add some information to what Lynn was saying. Um, these are definitely just for short-term um, activities. So for less than a year, oftentimes it could be for an event for the, a day or a couple of hours. Um, and so let me just really quick check to give you guys some more information. So items were uh, things that we have used as needed uh, security guards in the past are um, as needed services for the UN Plaza, uh, linkage centers. During COVID, we had um, the COVID emergency sites or vaccination sites, um, the log cabin ranch for juvenile probation. Then we've had vacant city owned sites and just events in citywide parks uh, and some miscellaneous Department of Election events. So again, how we came up with this additional amount was that uh, we basically ran reports to see how uh, how much had been spent in the last um, 82 months, about you know five year estimate, and we came up with the cost was going to be about uh, or the total spend was about. Um, a little bit over $6 million and it was primarily sp spread between 2 suppliers, but because we had several, or we had awarded several contractors, we decided that, um, out of fairness, both of those contracts would have $6 million because we don't really know how the spend is going to be. We can't say, oh, you know, contractor A is going to get this amount and contractor B is going to get this amount because it does depend on um, the department's needs. So this is why we had determined that the $6 million would, um, it would be fair just to have both of those uh, contracts have the same amount. It's actually only four contracts now and not four. I'm sorry, it's four contracts and not five contracts. Um, so two of the contracts would be $6 million each, and then two contracts would be $1 million each. And those are the micro LBE set-asides as required by um, the contracting monitoring division. And I hope I answered everything. Um, please let me know if you have any additional questions. Okay, uh, let's see if there are some additional questions from commissioners. Can we hear back? Oh, sorry. From, from the, yeah, can we hear back from SEIU because 
Ms. Call indicated that she had a discussion with you about Laguna Honda and long-term security services provided by SEIU. We had an email exchange for clarification of what was going to be covered in the contracts. I first brought to the attention of the department that the initial PSC says that there were going to be five contracts. And because only four were sent to me, I was asking, well, are, it says five and aren't there four? So we had a small um, conversation through email exchange. And the final exchange was us working on dates to meet so that I could further understand if this is only short-term work, does that bar permanent civil service employees from doing short-term work? I mean, is the requirement for a permanent civil service security guard to have the assignment be long-term? I mean, it really, honestly, the reasoning is not timeliness. It's not that this is an urgency. This is an emergent event where we need to provide security. The reasoning is not that there's not enough staffing. This is just, honestly, they're not choosing to look to the 8202 or the 8204 class and rather contract out this work. I don't I don't see the necessity for approving the contract just because this is short term. There is Log Cabin Ranch is also a turf that I represent. It has been around for years. The city has not to my knowledge is getting ready to sell off this property. So although if it is they haven't set a date and if it's still requiring security. It could be done by our security guards. Is the union okay? Now you've heard Mr. Call's explanation. Is the union okay with the intermittent nature of the work that would require the department uh, to hire up uh, security or to get obtain more security services? I didn't hear about not using existing employees in the 8202 or the 8204 classifications. I didn't hear about them at using them at all and I still don't feel like the department has um, made the, its case for the need for this contract. So I, I would like to still continue talking to the department before the commission approves the modification to this contract. I mean, is there something that is emergent that it needs to be approved today? Uh, I would, if it's possible for the department to come back at a later date, once they've met with SEIU, that would be more amiable to me. Um, do, do, just a sec, just a minute, please. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. Uh, Madam Chair, my question would uh, actually be the same as, as Ms. Daniels in terms of, is there a need to authorize this PSC at this point in time? before the parties could sit down jointly and discuss their issues. Okay. Um, can one of you, did you hear the question? Can one of you address the question? Um, can you please repeat it? Do you need us to repeat the question? Yes, please. Sorry, my connection was not great. Okay. So the the question from both SEIU and from um, the commission is, what is the urgency? Why is it necessary for this commission to take action before you've had a chance to meet oh. with SEIU, um, address the questions that are that have uh, that are being raised, and attempt to find a mutually acceptable solution. 
Okay, um, right. So last week, um, Ms. Daniels um, emailed to me asking questions about it. I'm back on all her concerns. Um, initially, she was concerned about two hospital. I responded back and also next, uh, she wanted to know what contracts uh, that we are going to award to or execute. So I also um, gave her two contracts that uh, we are going to execute. Um, and there was no request for like meet and conf meet to talk about the PSC other than asking me question, I responded back. So um, I, I, excuse me. I, I think we understand that, but the question now is, uh, meeting with SEIU to specifically discuss this PSC. Yes, you, we would. Are you available to do that? Yes. Okay, and you will be able to schedule uh, time to meet with her. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Is there any uh, impediment that the commission should know about? If we uh, postpone action on this until you've had an opportunity to meet and discuss with the union, um, I do not. But I would let my um, colleagues yeah. speak. Thank you, Lynn. Um, yes, we actually are already getting requests for these short-term um, contracts, and we've we've held off, folks, because obviously we needed to make sure that. Uh, we were seen today, um, but I do also have my assistant director on on the line. Um, if she could chime in really quick, if that would be Hi, everyone, can you hear me? Hi, am I am I being heard? We can hear you. Okay, yes. great. Hi, hi everyone. Um, this is Taryn Amoyed. I'm with the Office of Contract Administration. Um, one of the assistant directors here. Um, I can speak to a little bit more to what's already been said. Um, we have no problem. Uh, putting a pause on this request to amend um, this PSC. Uh, the reason that we were increasing the amount was essentially for efficiency. This is going to be a five-year contract. It's a lot of work to put these contracts in place for as-needed services citywide. And the idea was that the contracts, by the way, haven't even started because we just awarded them only a few months ago. The solicitation itself, itself took months. So now that we're at the award stage and we're ready to execute the contracts, the idea was, hey, let's be efficient with our resources and time. We know this is going to be a five-year contract. Let's just make it five years. Let's go to civil service now, get the approval, and be done with it. However, if there is hesitation around granting us the ability or opportunity to do that, we are fine just keeping it as a three-year contract, keeping the existing amount and not making it five-year and coming back should the need arise for us to increase the PSC at a later time. Um, I want to also reiterate that these are as-needed purchase orders for services that are 12 months or less in duration. All the purchase orders are issued by OCA. The departments do not issue these POs themselves. And what that means is that we have complete control over who uses these contracts um, so that if SCIU has concerns about, you know, why are, why are contractors providing short-term services for a month here, four months there, three months here, because their employees are apparently flexible and ready to go and, you know, go different places for short periods of time. Um, we are more than happy to send them each purchase order request that comes to us for their sign off. If they don't have employees that can do it, we'll move forward with the PO. If they have employees that are willing to do it, great. Their employees can go do the job for that short period of time. So happy to have those discussions with SCIU um, after this meeting. That's it. Thank you. Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, Ms. Daniels, any comments? 
Um, it sounds good. We'll be having conversations after this meeting. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Carley. Madam chair, I'll move this item on the condition of those, we, those issues we spoke on that uh, they meet and confer uh, with SEIU and Ms. Daniels um, and come back to us at the next uh, uh, meeting, uh, provided that all parties are satisfied with the, uh, the distillation of information and moving forward. Um, Point of clarification, are you saying we will take this off calendar until it's brought back to us? I am. Oh, okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> I'll uh, city attorney. You know, comment. Um, I was just going to clarify whether or not um, the department it was withdrawing the PSC or whether or not the commission is taking the action to um, remove it from the calendar. Yes. We are happy to withdraw the amendment to an approved PSC. So we will keep the PSC as is. We withdraw the amendment to it. We will make this a three-year contract. And should the need arise for additional funds, we will revisit it at that time. But regardless of that, we will still meet with SEIU to ensure that you know whatever concerns they have um, are addressed. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you. So we understand that the uh, the PSC, the modification is being withdrawn. Correct. Thank you. Thank you. So with that, Madam Chair, I move that item. Um, I don't, do we need a motion? I don't think, because the department withdrew it. I understand. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. I just voting on what they withdrew. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have... Uh, <laughs> One more pulled contract, and that's four seven. President Minor. Oh yes, I'm sorry. Uh, we do have someone with their hand raised. Oh, okay. A uh, caller. Yes. Okay. So I'll go ahead and unmute this person. Caller, can you please state and spell your name for the record? Yeah. Hi, Commission. My name is Dennis Wong. W O N G. I'm a SEIU 1021 field representative. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. All right. So I just wanted to comment on the um, situation here. Give folks a little history. I represent um, building and grounds patrol officers at the war memorial. Um, we also, our union also has them at the San Francisco public library and museums. Um, and we also at one point had building and grounds patrol officers at the one stop permit center, as folks know, opened in July of 2020 at 49 South NS. It's an all city owned building. There's mixed uh, units there with several city departments, including residential. Um, and I initially went to meeting confers before that building opened, and I was able to get our members in that building regarding the building and grounds and patrol officers. Um, we had them in there over a year um, before the city made a decision to subcontract out services citing a Proposition J, um, and then the union filed a grievance. We want an uh, undisclosed amount of money for our members, um, but that legality of a Proposition J allowed the department to uh, get rid of our members. Um, and I'm here to tell you all that um, what Naj is saying um, and the union in general is saying is that the city can hire Category 16s to do the work. It can do intermittent work. 
As folks know, under your uh, Civil Service Commission rules, you can work up to 1040 hours for every 12 years, and they've already proven that they can do this by hiring them at 49 South NS. They were all Category 16s before they, again, abruptly chose to subcontract out services and get rid of all of our folks there. And, and the only thing that uh, um, the city has cited throughout this entire um, situation when we were trying to expand our membership um, for our bargaining unit work is that there were cost concerns. And that was the only thing they mentioned, cost concerns, cost concerns, cost concerns. But you know what? 49 South NS today is having a lot of um, public safety concerns uh, with the security there as well. Um, and they're not doing as good of a job as our civil service workers do. As you know, subcontractors, you know, they hire in and out security folks and they're not as invested in their jobs or um, the city workers where they work. So please uh, consider hiring our members in the future. Of course, we'll have that meeting offline, but just wanted folks to get a little history that we have had them in there and, and we will continue to fight for our members in our work inside city owned buildings and other areas. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the additional information and your public comment. Any additional public comment? Yeah, Steve Zeltzer, United uh, Front Committee for a Labor Party. Uh, I think this whole discussion and back and forth with this department um, is an example of a drive to privatize and outsource uh, city jobs, city work. And these are substandard wages that these workers are being brought in as. Um, and we have a situation now where uh, there's a threat in uh, the janitors in the uh, school district to subcontract out all the janitors, get rid of them. Uh, I think there has to be a political campaign against privatization and outsourcing. I think there should be a clause on the charter and the state constitution to stop this driving down of wages and living conditions of public workers and provide uh, decent wages, decent conditions for workers in San Francisco. Um, as we've heard before, a lot of workers who are doing public work, home care workers, others, uh, these business districts, they can't live on $18 an hour, $19 an hour. Who can live on $18 or $19 an hour? But that's what they're being paid to do public work. It's wrong, and I think that we have to uh, fight for these workers to make sure that you have a living wage in San Francisco and every place in this country. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Elizabeth, was there an additional caller? President Minor, no further public comment at this time. Okay, thank you. We are uh, moving to the final pulled contract. It's public health 47743, 1718. Who is with us from public health? Good afternoon, commissioners. Kelly Hiramoto, acting PSC coordinator for the Department of Public Health. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, Madam, which one, who pulled Madam this? Chair, I was the raised the issue. Okay. Mine not so much with the issue of the, uh, the timeliness or the, um, the particular content. I just wanted to know if there's an equation as to, to know how many people they're servicing with this uh, request. Do we know that? Uh, I'm gonna. We also have here uh, Kimberly uh, Ganade, the program manager for the um, Mental Health Services Act. Um, Kimberly, do you happen to know what the units of service are for 
Yes, um, the program takes approximately 30 students every semester, and that's run through their three year program of different courses. And then uh, by the time that they graduate after their third year, uh, the graduates equal about 25 to 30 graduates. So, yeah, sorry, each cohort will have 30 students. Okay, thank you. No further questions on four. Seven seven four three seventeen eighteen, okay. Madam Chair. Uh, thank you, uh, Commissioners. Any additional questions on this PSC? If not, we'll take a motion and a second. So moved. Item four seven seven four three seventeen eighteen. Second. We have a motion and a second to approve four seven seven four three seventeen eighteen. If you're in the room and you have public comment, please come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Commissioners, the roll call vote on the motion. Uh, Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. We have approved 47743-1718, public health. Public health, thank you for being here. Thank you, Commissioner. We are ready for the next agenda item. We are on the consent agenda. All matters on the consent agenda considered by the Civil Service Commission will be acted upon by a single vote of the commission. There will be no separate discussion on these items unless a request is made, in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent agenda and considered as a separate item. Item 8. Certification of the highest prevailing rate of wages of the various crafts and kinds of labor paid in private employment in the city and county of San Francisco. Recommendation, adopt the report of the Office of Labor Standards Enforcement. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, any questions on the consent uh, agenda? If not, we will take a motion to adopt. I move that we adopt the consent agenda. Second. We have a motion and a second to adopt the consent uh, agenda, which is a certification of highest prevailing rate of wages for various crafts. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium now. If you're on the telephone, press star three. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Thank you. Commissioners, the roll call vote on the motion to adopt the report of the Office of Labor Standards Enforcement. Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. We have adopted the report. Thank you. Executive officer, we're ready for the next agenda item. We are on the regular agenda, item nine, appeal by Barbara DeLea of the Q60 Lieutenant Examination, recommendation of the Human Resources Director, adopt the report and deny the appeal by Barbara DeLea. Good, af good afternoon, commissioners. This is Jen Lowe, public safety team manager. Good afternoon. Hold on a second. Let me confirm that this is the appellant. Sergeant, thank you. Okay, please go ahead. The application period for Q60 opened on May 1st and closed on May 15th. Uh, Sergeant Barbara Dulea reached out to me approximately one month after, or actually two months after the closing, um, requesting information on why her application, she had not received any communication regarding her application. Um, after research into smart recruiters, there was no evidence that an application had been submitted 
by the appellant. And in the job ad, there is a section that applicants will receive a confirmation email once an online application has re been received. And failure to receive this email means that the online application was not submitted or received. Um, there was some correspondence back and forth between the SFPD personnel department and myself um, regarding the application. And um, I did check as of today, there was still no profile in Smart Recruiters um, by Sergeant Dulea. 217 applications were successfully submitted during the filing period for this for a Q60 Lieutenant. Uh, thank you. Let's hear from uh, Sergeant, the appellant, and then we'll have uh, commission questions. Uh, thank you for hearing my brief and simple uh, appeal. So I am aware of the application deadline. I was aware and I did apply. I applied using my cell phone and my personal email as I have done in the past. And I waited and didn't receive any email confirmation. And then I reached out and tried to do further investigation. And that's why I'm here today. And uh, I did in fact apply during the application period because I'm well aware of it. I do read the department bulletins and I had marked it on my calendar. So I'm just telling the truth and I just ask for your kind consideration in the matter. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Crawley. Uh this is more to the department. Thank you, officer. I'm if with you, you for now. Sergeant, if you would just sit in the front seat if there okay. are questions for you. So you received 217 applications for this exam? Yes, that's correct. How many other than this sergeant uh, filed a, a formal complaint or, or appeal? There you? were no others. Okay. Um, and when is the next exam? How long will it take to exhaust the 217 on the roster? So we are about to post a list probably in the next few weeks. The minimum posting will be for two years with a possible extension up to three. And given the lack of uh, officers, sworn officers at this point in time, do you intend on speeding that process up, not just for this, this area, but for more with more classes? I guess my question is, how soon will the next class be for sergeants to lieutenants and then sergeants to uh, then then officers up to sergeant? The next sergeant's exam is next spring, and then the captain's exam is this fall. Okay, thank you. I have no further questions, Madam Chair. Okay, uh, Commissioner Leon. I do have some questions for the department, if you don't mind, Ms. Lowe. So what happens? What happens after an applicant has? Uh, register or sign up for the uh, or apply do they get a notification from yes, the department smart recruiters automatically send you a confirmation that your application has been successfully submitted and then our our unit follows up yeah. after we've evaluated your applications to follow up that you have met the minimum qualifications and we'll move forward so both the applicant as well as the department receive uh, a notification from smart recruiter about an applicant has applied for a position correct Okay, and you didn't you didn't get anything from Smart Recruiter. No. Uh, second question: Were there other simultaneously postings that were happening at that time? At the time when this posting uh, was going on for Q60, um, Q80 captain was posted at the same time. Did you check whether uh, Miss Delia, uh, Sergeant Delia, Sergeant Delia applied for the Q60 instead of the Q60? Her application was not under that one either. Okay. 
Any other questions, Commissioner? Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Uh, same. Um, yes, thank you. Um, Manager Lowe, uh, I have, I just want to confirm my understanding. I looked in the materials and it said that in the application materials themselves, it does state that an applicant is going to receive a confirmation email if their online application has been received. That is correct. Okay. So, um, and, and how soon after the application was the confirmation emails Usually within a few minutes. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. My actually next question goes to the uh, Sergeant. Okay. So, Sergeant, what day or approximate time did you apply for this on your phone? I believe it's about May 7th and uh, sometime in the afternoon from my residence. And at that time, did you find it irregular that you didn't get a, a response? Yeah, but I didn't know that you received a response immediately. And even knowing that the deadline was May 1st through 15th, I believe. Yes. You didn't hear anything in that, that window of opportunity? Correct. And I assume that you have discussions with other folks that are, that are opting to take the Q60 exam as well? Uh, no, I did not. Okay. Thank you for answering you. the question. No further questions, Madam Chair. Thank you. Um, Manager Lowe, just one quick question. Um, are you aware of any other situations where candidates have indicated they did not receive the acknowledgement? In other words, I'm asking, have you, are you aware of any smart recruiter uh, issues or technical glitches that have resulted in this aspect of the service not working as it was intended? Not not for these recruitments that were recently posted. Okay. And, but prior to the these recruitments, have you had any issues with Smart Recruiter not sending the acknowledgement of receipt? No, and we've been using Smart Recruiters for another for our entry level police, fire and sheriff positions as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And no speculation as to, never mind. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, the uh, Sergeant, have you used your personal equipment for applying for other positions in the city? Yes, I did it in the past for the sergeant's exam. You did for the sergeant's and did it work? Yeah, apparently. And how long ago was that? Oh, seven years ago. Did Six we have smart ago? recruiter seven years ago? No. Okay. So it was a different system at that time. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, any additional questions? All right. Okay. Uh, Commissioners, are you ready for a motion? Commissioner Salveson. Um, yes, I, you know, it's unfortunate, but I believe that that was um, incumbent on the appellant to um, be more prompt 
in her diligence in pursuing the question of whether her application was received, given the actual statement in the application materials that she was to expect confirmation email. So, for that reason, I think um, it's appropriate to adopt the report and deny the appeal by Sergeant Duleo. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner Snavison. Uh, commissioners, is there a second? Madam Chair, I, I too will second that and reluctantly to do so, but I know that anything that comes after this is also an appeal process. So mm -hmm. I, I too will second that issue. Okay. So we have a motion and a second to adopt the report. The result would be to deny the appeal of the sergeant. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, you may press star three now. Uh, Commissioner Salveson, you're still let up. Do you want? Okay. We're ready for public comment. If you have public comment, you may come to the podium or press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. Uh, commissioners, we're ready for the roll call vote on agenda item number nine, uh, the motion to adopt the report and deny the appeal. Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. We have agreed to adopt the report and deny the appeal. Um, thank you for being here and um, uh, good luck, Sergeant. Okay, we are ready for the next agenda item. Item 10, appeal by James Sanabria of the rejection of their application for supervising electronic maintenance technician, recommendation of the Municipal Transportation Agency, adopt the report and deny the appeal by James Sanabria. Um, is, is the appellant with us? I'm on. I'm on. Can you guys hear me? Oh, yes, we can. Thank you. I just thank needed you. to confirm that you were with us. Yes, I am. Okay, thank you. Uh, the process is we will start with MTA and then we will turn to you for your presentation. And uh, commissioners can enter question, ask questions if they have them um, during your presentation or we will have a discussion afterwards. Okay, MTA, we're ready. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Shivani Nath, N-A-T-H, and I am the examinations and um, classification manager at the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. I'm here today to present case 0145238 regarding the appeal of rejection of application by James Sanabria for 7287, supervising electronic maintenance technician. The SFMTA posted an examination announcement for the Supervising Electronic Maintenance Technician, Class Code 7287, on March 29, 2023, and closed the job ad on April 21, 2023. The minimum qualifications for this position require two years, a two-year course or equivalent program in electronics from a recognized academic trade or a technical institution, or completion of a military training program in electronics, and five years of full-time verifiable journey-level industrial or institutional electronics experience performing installation, instrumentation, calibration, maintenance, troubleshooting, repair, and modification of electronic control systems and related electrical components and electronic subsystems to the electronic component level, 
three years of which shall have been at a supervisory level and license possession of a valid Class C driver's license. No appeals were, were received regarding the minimum qualifications on the announcement. Santa Maria applied for this recruitment on April 3rd, 2023. Santa Maria is currently employed by the SFMTA and is appointed to an acting assignment in class code 7287 as a supervising electronic maintenance technician. Santa Maria's underlying appointment is to class code 7318 as an electronic maintenance technician. Santa Maria was credited for possessing the required five years of technical experience under the minimum qualifications based on his underlying appointment to class code 7318. No supervisory credits were given to Santa Maria based on his underlying appointment because the 7318 is not a supervisory classification. Santa Maria was also credited for possessing the required two-year training course. He was also credited for acting assignment in class code 7287, where they have had the opportunity to gain supervisory experience from the period of March 5th, 2022, which is the start of the formal acting assignment through April 21st, 2023, which is the close of the job ad for a total of one year and one month of supervisory credits. Santa Maria was still shy one year and 11 months of supervisory experience at this point. Santa Maria participated in the, in the interactive process with exams analyst Pierre Aguirre and both submitted additional information and received several extensions to provide information to demonstrate that they had supervisory experience that was lacking to fully meet the minimum qualifications. During this process, notable documents were brought forward, including that appeared to be consistent with establishing a small business. Santa Maria also submitted an updated letter that was non-contemporaneous in nature. It was authored by Michael Moda, light rail vehicle engineer, who has no organizational supervisory relationship with Santa Maria based on records available to SFMTA HR, and therefore would not have been authorized to write these letters. The dates, in the letter span from 2002 to 2023, and it's important to note that Moda was not employed by SFMTA until October of 2005. Similar letters were authored by Moda on behalf of Santa Maria in 2021, and the work in that letter was not certified by the Chief People Officer. As such time, as such, since the time of up to December 2021 was already not certified by, by CSC Rule 410.9, only time periods beyond it could be considered. The only time frame that was in question totaled a couple of months. However, based on the lack of reporting relationship between Moda and Santa Bria, it was determined that the letter was not qualifying to necessitate further review by the Chief People Officer. As such, as of today, Santa Bria is still shy one year and 11 months of the required supervisory experience. SFMTA respectfully requests the Commission to deny Santa Bria's appeal of rejection for the 7287 Supervising Electronic Maintenance Technician Recruitment. I also have Bill Miles, Talent Acquisition Manager, here with me today, and we are happy to answer any questions that you guys might have. Uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, we'll hear from the appellate and then have discussion. Okay. Um, Appellant Santa Maria, we're ready for your presentation. Yeah, hello, how is everyone doing? We're good, thank you. Um, so I'm, uh, uh, I'm just somewhat confused about all this. Um, just for some back reference, 
I applied for the 7287 in 2014, and um, I actually scored number two on that test for this current position that's in question right now. Um, I was number two on the list. Um, I chose not to take that position because I just took it just to see how I would do and if I would qualify. I qualified based on the same documents that I've provided the second time around. Um, of course, this time I was denied. Um, one of the things that um, that that kind of is lacking, and and I've tried to express the HR with with the uh, with the documents I provided them, um, is that I've worked out of class um, since approximately 2011 because I worked uh, as a uh, as a 7318 electronic technician, but working under Mike Moda as uh, uh, as uh, under the um, LRV engineering support. So with that, basically, I supervise um, projects that are under the purview of the engineering department. Um, some of these projects are, are were pretty large, uh, uh, going uh, over several years. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, now they're starting to get get back up to par with this, but. Uh, the last time that I had a, a PPAR, a, uh, an evaluation of my work performance, was in 2000. So if uh, it's been made clear to me, if those were, were made available to me throughout the years, even working out of class, then that would have sufficed to proof of, of my supervision. On all these projects, uh, the largest one being the uh, – the Harris radio install on the uh, Breda LRVs, um, there was um, Emily Williams, who was the project manager. And uh, it's ultimately because of her input that I got put in this acting position. And when I attempted to uh, have her be able to um, write a letter, whatever the case may be, to, to support um, during the during my process of trying to get documentation, um, I was informed that she could not be because she already did that once in order for me to uh, get this acting position I'm currently in right now, which was confusing to me because if she can do it once, why can't she do it again? And I was told that that would be considered nepotism. So that was out. Um, I do have the two letters from Mike Moda. Um, Mike Moda, um, I don't know if he made a mistake in writing the timeline. Maybe he was just going by the records um, because, again, I did work under the, uh, the uh, LRV fleet engineering uh, since 2000, and, uh, and he did come at a later time, but he was probably just going by records. But nonetheless, uh, 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 those documents did indicate that I did do supervisory work. Um, the response back um, from HR to why those weren't valid is in some instances, in certain paragraphs, the word manager was mentioned. So because manager was mentioned, now uh, uh, when the word supervisor were, uh, were, were utilized, those don't count. I was acting as a manager, thus outside um, outside that purview as far as they're concerned. Um, I also do have a letter from Randy Katnack, thus retired uh, deputy director, who also provided at that time 
before he retired, basically a summation of all the projects and work that I did and what they consisted of. When I provided that, uh, there was the, well, the Mike Motos would work, except he's utilized the word manager. So again, I went back to Mike, asked him, you know, this needs to be written. I can't tell you what to write, but also another thing that they had mentioned is that it's lacking in um, actual pass down to the detail. So he wrote, rewrote uh, uh, this last email, he submitted it, I submitted it. Uh, ultimately, the response back was that it's similar to the other two. So I, I don't know, you know, it now had more detail, but because it's similar, I, I never got a concise uh, um, feedback on what they meant by similar. Um, I mean, obviously the syntax is gonna be the same considering the same person is writing the uh, letter. Um, and uh, even right now, I mean, I understand that I'm working as an acting position, but um, if you were to look and see what my positions are, I actually oversee three shops that each shop should have their own 87. I oversee the uh, SFMTA radio shop, which oversees all the radio uh, repairs and uh, equipment for uh, SFMTA, um, the video shop, likewise for that, and the Fairbox shop, likewise for that. So even though I'm acting in the position of one title, uh, that one title has been merged to incorporate three different shops that usually have just one for one 7287 for each shop. And uh, thus far, I mean, if they were to reach, if anybody would be to reach out to my, uh, or supervisors or above, um, which at this point is uh, Michael Henry, Deputy Director, Louis Guzzo, the uh, Chief Mechanical Officer, uh, they would attest to my performance and my knowledge. Um, so uh, really that, in a nutshell, that's what it is. And um, just to add on the original date when I first uh, went to meet with Mr. Aguirre, um, on providing additional documentation, um, you know, I asked what should I provide, and he said provide whatever you, you, you want that would support all this. So I submitted a thumb drive that had approximately um, just under uh, half a gig of data because I happened to be a very uh, uh, anal and document uh, uh, hoarding type person, and I scan everything, and I have scans of all the payroll, uh, the, the, the documentations that, I, that, that, the, that I've done, the documents I've created, that I have my subordinates sign and, and submit, just all, all the things that make me be more efficient at being able to do my job, because um, ultimately I'm, I'm lazy, and the, and, and the easier I make it for them, the easier it is for me, right? So, <laughs> um, but yeah, in a nutshell, that's all it is. And, and again, going back to, you know, uh, I was already on the 7287 back on in 2014, and to have to go through this now is is, is kind of perplexing to me, to say the least. Okay, um, thank you, thank you for your your comments, uh, commissioners. Um, shall we start the discussion? If you have any questions for either the appellant or the department. Commissioner Leon. Can we get the department to respond to some of his concerns or issues that he has brought up? 
Sure. So the first one is he mentioned about he had applied for the position, the same position 7287 back in 2014. He was number two on the list. And then now this time around, uh, he wasn't qualified. Correct. Um, I'm going to let Bill Miles speak on that. Afternoon, commissioners. So whenever we do a recruitment, we are looking at what is presented to us on the application. The application materials are presented at this point in time. Um, unfortunately, back in 2014, we don't have a record of like what necessarily was the analyst's thought process at that time to evaluate and um, approve the application. But when we look at the materials that we have received, um, even the 2014 memo that was provided by MODA, it doesn't actually state any supervisory responsibilities in that memo. So as far as internal experience, it couldn't have been the internal experience that would have qualified in 2014, at least from what we see. Um, it might have been something that was perhaps on other documentation that was prior to our employment here with the city, but we haven't found anything in this evaluation of this application that showed that they had the five years with the electronics work in combination with the three-year supervisory while doing that electronics work. Um, some of the things that we did see in some of our documentation was like engineering type of work, which is not electronics type of work. So those are very different fields. Those are different, very, di they're working with electricity, but they're not going down to the component level doing the repair work as required in these minimum qualifications. And therefore, if that was what was being done before the city employment, that should not have been qualified back in 2014. But as it is, we don't really have documentation to know what was approved at that time. And unfortunately, even the person that did that recruitment has passed away. Uh, so we don't really have the ability to go back and find out additional information. But what we review is what we have now, and we could not validate that we have now met the minimum qualifications. Do you know what the minimum qualifications were for uh, back in 2014? We did, identical? we looked it up. It was the same minimum qualifications. Uh, we just didn't see how it was qualifying. Yeah. But nonetheless, he made the list number two. He did make the list. Uh, we did look up the testing component as well. It was what was known as the trade supervisor examination. Mm -hmm. um, all it really reviews is uh, trade, sorry, supervisory knowledge for a person. If they were to become a supervisory, how well would they perform? Um, I would do want to state that this position that is being applied for is a second level supervisory position. Uh, so there is a level in between this position, 7318 goes, goes to 7329, which then promotes up to the position for this classification. Um, so the level in between is where individuals are typically getting the supervisor experience to promote up to the second level supervisory position. Um, there appears to be a difference between oversight definition of oversight versus super, supervisorial. What's the department definition of, of these two terms? Yeah, thank you. So supervisory essentially should be somebody that is actively performing um, evaluation of the staff and documenting the evaluation. If there is any sort of deficiencies or discipline that needs to be performed, they are the person making that recommendation to move forward. Um, they are also going to be responsible for recommend, making recommendations for hiring decisions, firing decisions, things like that. For oversights, it's really just um, the movement of pieces is one way I'd say it. Like we have a lot of project managers in the city. They do not actually perform supervision of that staff that they have, that they're making sure to do certain parts of that project as they are moving. So 
let's say we had a piece of a train, we need to make sure that those parts are all coming in. You know, you would basically make sure like people are doing those certain roles or checking in per day, but you're not the party responsible for making that evaluation of staff, determining whether or not they have any deficiencies. And um, if it really comes down to it, making recommendations for discipline. So would filling out payrolls be part of oversight in your definition or supervisory? If you could repeat that in here first. So filling out payroll for staff, right? Would that be oversight or would that be supervisorial? I wouldn't say that by itself is high enough for supervisory. Like there are a lot of people that actually do the payroll function for the teams as far as, you know, making sure that um, everybody's put in their time and making sure that that's in there. As far as the approving, of the payroll role as far as like, you know, I'm approving that you can take this leave for these amount of days. That would be more on the supervisorial side, but not the path of just basically checking payroll, making sure that people are checked in per day, things like that. I wouldn't see it to that extent. Is that what Santa Maria did uh, most recently in terms of his oversight of other uh, civil service classification employees? Um, can't necessarily say to the extent, but we, what we did is we went back to the division, which is the transit division. Mm -hmm. um, and as a part of this review with the chief people officer, we basically asked for any documentation that shows supervisory duties being performed. Uh, that was when that first review came into play from the letter 2021, I think, December 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and that's per civil service rules, considering those duties were not documented at the time that they were performed, is considered non-contemporaneous documentation. So that requires the chief people officer at SFMTA to do an evaluation based on what HR, the exams and classification team has come up with to determine if there is sufficient evidence to show that this person has been performing the job duties that are stated for the time period that are being stated. Uh, the chief people officer did not certify the letter from December 2021. Um, in addition to that, if it had gone beyond that level, the director of transportation would have needed to approve it. But since the chief people officer did not certify it, it didn't even go to that level. So he had been in acting, acting assignment capacity since 2021? March 2022. Oh, March 2022. And you certify from March 5th, 2022 to April 21st, 2023. Crediting him for the supervisorial uh, qualification. Correct. As long as somebody is acting in a class or they have been assigned to the class, they get the credit for the class to which they are assigned. Commissioner Leon, do you have additional questions at this time? Uh, not for the department. Okay. Um, commissioners, any additional questions? Um, so, Manager Miles, um, I found your list of supervisory duties um, to be helpful. I'm trying to find its page SAN 230. 
It's the third paragraph down. However, a supervisor has overall responsibility for recommending hiring and disciplinary actions. I was going to go through this list with the appellant um, so that it's clear to me um, and may be helpful for him as well to ask specifically, has he undertaken any of the, any or all of these duties um, on behalf of employees that he manages? Okay. Um, if I may just chime yes. in uh, yes. uh -huh. for clarification, just, uh -huh. um, you know, in his current acting assignment, he is responsible for those things. So okay. the question is, you know, for the three years that's required is what we need to. Uh, yes, no, I, 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 I do. And in, in fact, understand that I think. I mean, he represented that he has not had a performance evaluation since. Did you say 2000? Yes, what's the last time you had a performance evaluation from my understanding the last 1 that I recall was in 2000. Okay, so we have someone who hasn't had a performance evaluation and, you know, this consistent issue of not necessarily. Giving people acting assignments when they're doing the work. And so it can be hard and I know we're struggling with this question of non contemporaneous documentation before I ask him about the supervisory uh, specific duties. Um, have you spoken to manager Mota and has he provided any explanation as to why he believes he was in a position to write the letters? And if he has some additional information, um, just make sure I know, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the staff has not reached out directly to manager mode on this. So we tend to do whenever we get these letters is we go back to the actual division that this person resides in. So we go back to their division head and the, what we call division representatives are people between HR and the division that are responsible for coordinating all the work and to provide additional documentation if we should need it. Uh, we have seen a history at MTA that has been like letters being written for individuals that are stated to be performing work that can't be collaborated. In fact, there have been inspection service requests that have been brought up to that tune where um, individuals should not have been given credit for things because even though a letter stated so, there was nothing to document that up. Uh, therefore, we now have a very um, stringent process about reaching out to the division, finding out do you have anything to document what this individual and what this letter is stating. Uh, we don't necessarily go back to the exact same person that wrote the letter. Mm -hmm. uh, we go back to the division themselves. But there should be some organizational charts. There should be something that really shows if a person is being supervising that they have that. Uh, the division was unable to give us any organizational charts that really show that there was a supervising line between the um, individuals being stayed as being supervised for the time periods being stayed. Uh, it's also uh, uh, noted to us that the division, the fleet engineering division, is just that, they're engineers. So they do not have a single person in that division that is an electronic maintenance technician. They're not supposed to be doing that type of work. It's a separate type of work. Um, so, like I said, the electrical engineers and electronic maintenance technicians, the electrical transit mechanics, they're all different classifications that are performing different types of work. Mm -hmm. In order to qualify, 
a person needs to be in that electronics role while they're performing those supervisory duties. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, appellant, I just, um, you know, this, this traditional list of supervisory duties. Now, I'm not, uh, I understand in the acting role, you are in fact performing most of these duties. But in in the when you're not in the acting role for those um, assignments that you are seeking to get credit as a supervisor, is there any documentation that you made hiring or discipline decisions? Uh, yes, there is. I made that. Uh, so just to go back. Real quick, I apologize, and I actually have a few items that I want to address, but I'll definitely address this first. Um, so I was not in a position to actually uh, hire or fire anyone. I was in a position to make uh, uh, an evaluation on who was brought on board, if they were uh, competent and knowledgeable enough to stay on board, if they were brought on uh, for my crew, considering the uh, the specific nature and, and skill set required for these uh, for these campaigns um, um, and also just the work in the LRV fleet engineering um, component. Uh, there, so I did uh, do that. I did on occasion have to deal with uh, people that ultimately were let go because of their performance. Um, uh, uh, the, all that was is, is documented in that data that I provided them that um, quite frankly, I was, I was I was shocked when I provided that data to that individual on that day. Um, he went to the back, I guess he downloaded it, came back within 15 minutes or so, and said that unless I say specifically what is in there that they can use, they're not gonna utilize it to look at it because it's too much. That, that, that's what they said. So then I provided a secondary email after leaving that meeting. And because again, it is too much, I can understand. But again, that's not my job, that's their job. So I sent an email that had a bunch of basically, for lack of a better word, excerpts from my different multitude of files of files that have uh, data, basically documents that might suffice to what they're looking for. Okay. Ultimately, I never got re a response back to that. So I don't know if they even chose to even wanted to look at that, but basically um, because, again, I didn't specifically state something, just providing examples of what they may be interested in was not what, what, what they were willing to do, and so that didn't happen. Um, again, uh, going back to the evaluations, uh, just like I wasn't uh, afforded uh, uh, evaluation in uh, over two decades, the same thing was, th that was basically the culture. I know the majority of the people that have been uh, 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 at least in the rail side and the, and the personnel involved uh, uh, during that tenure um, that most of them don't have evaluations because that, that, I mean, that just didn't happen. No one wrote evaluations. Supervisors didn't write evaluations. So for me to be deemed for working outside of my class when most everybody, yes, they, they moved up. I mean, I'm skipping a class, but it's because I really didn't care about the money. I cared about the work I was doing. And if I moved up, I wouldn't be able to work for uh, LRV engineering support. 
Um, so that's where the evals go. As far as the engineering, the LRV engineering, um, LRV engineering consists of two, two types of engineers. Um, there's mechanical engineers and there's electrical engineers. I have a background in electrical engineering, which at a minor is, is, is electronics because, you know, I mean, most electricians and most technicians are below an electrical engineer. Um, um, and so I just want to make that clear. He said an engineer. It's not like I'm a stationary engineer where you just go to a trade school for a few months and now you're, now you're fixing light bulbs and fixing toilets and, 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 and piping and whatnot. You know what I mean? My, uh, Mike Moda is, uh, is a certified electrical engineer. He's a PE um, and uh, not a mechanical engineer. I was under him uh, uh, when, when they mentioned about my, uh, my uh, company, um, uh, uh, my previous company, um, I was the, the founder and CEO I submitted a, a a patent which which I designed the circuitry for the device. Um, so uh, uh, the reason why I'm I, I was part of LRV engineering support for so long and 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 whatnot was because of my skill sets that are above the average electrical mechanic and electronic technician. Yet uh, uh, I wasn't trying to do it just to. You know, I enjoyed what I was doing. So uh, I just want to get that clear to, you know, it almost sounds like they're trying to belittle uh, my skill set and my education. And I just, I just want to get that clarified because it would, if they would just open up, if they would have opened up all that data that I had, um, then that would have, uh, 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 maybe we wouldn't be here right now. Okay. Um, and, uh, uh, another thing is that, um, that I did ask him to speak to Mike Moda on more than three occasions. And each time they said that that is not their job. They don't need to speak to anybody. It's my responsibility to provide information, which the best that I can do was to provide these letters. I specifically asked them. Mike Moda works for SFMTA. He still works for SFMTA. I can give you his phone number if you need it. Why don't you guys just call him? And and Mr. Aguirre, you know, uh, uh, basically Mr. Aguirre was always the go-between. I never spoke to anybody above him. So all he can do is relay messages, and then he'd come back and tell me, well, they said they're not going to talk to him because that's they don't need to talk to him. All that, uh, that all this could have been resolved with the phone call to Mr. Moda, with the phone call to Emily Williams, with the phone call to Julie Kirschbaum, uh, uh, with the phone call to, I mean, or and or just actually literally review all the data that I have and all that all that in that SD card that I gave them that they downloaded. That's all. It, that's all it would take. Um, but of course, we're here. So you know that 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 that's again. I don't even understand why we're here. Um. Okay. So. According to the MQs, you needed three years of supervisory experience. And if I followed the documents and the presentation, um, MTA has credited you with one year and one month. And so can you kind of narrowly tell me 
how you get to three years. Tell me, tell me specifically what positions you rely on to get from the one year, one month to three years. Do you mean outside of what I'm doing right now? The previous projects? Well, that's right. It's it's up until the date of the test, whichever that date was. So, so again, I oversaw the LRV propulsion campaign, right? And I oversaw, uh, um, basically, I was a supervisor for the LRV uh, uh, Breda propulsion campaign, which involved um, um, supervising, uh, I can't remember the number offhand, um, but at least 10 technicians and uh, approximately uh, seven I would say seven or eight uh, electrical uh, uh, um, mechanics. Um, that was for the propulsion campaign. After that, I oversaw the Breda uh, uh, Harris radio install. So I was the supervisor for that. For that, Emily Williams was the uh, uh, was the project manager, and her boss was Julie Kirschbaum. So again, it's her input. Uh, 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 because there was a lot of resistance um, because of lack of uh, PPAR for me. Uh, it was her input that her being the project manager for that, that got me into this acting position, even though only being a 7318. Um, again, if they could have reached out to her, but they chose to say that that's not doable because that's considered nepotism. I don't understand how, how, how someone that they can reference previously to get you in a position that now you can't reference them again without that being okay. considered. Okay. Okay. Um, do you recall back to 2014 what positions you relied on to meet the MQs since the MQs were are the same today as they were back in 2014? Uh, yes, I think uh, what what added to that on 2014 was that I also added uh, my uh, my work experience and uh, background, um, my electrical engineering background for the um, for my company, which was uh, Santa Throne LLC. The fact that it's since been dis dissolved, and the fact that I had worked for this long a time, that I did not think that that would have to be relevant. So I did not include it. Now, if I would have known that, I would have included it. But I did attempt to include it, and I did provide documentation to that fact during this whole process with Mr. Geary. And at that point, it was it was not considered. Okay. All right. Uh, Commissioner Leon. Uh, Mr. Santa Maria, you are using in your description of your work, you're using interchangeably the term oversee and supervise. So you use for the LRV campaign, you supervise employees, seven or eight electrical engineers you mentioned? Yes. What did you do as a supervisor during that time on that project? Um, I vetted who got brought on board uh, for my team uh, at the inception of the team. Uh, we hired uh, personnel uh, temp exempt because we needed a significant number of uh, personnel for, for the propulsion campaign. Um, and they needed to have um, a, 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 a skill set that we couldn't just uh, hire temp exempt and, you know, they're mediocre type uh, uh, 
knowledge in electronics and electrical because we're working on high voltage systems. Um, we're placing components that are extremely sensitive. Um, and again, this is on a transit vehicle. We can't have them work okay for a while and then go out and, you know, worst case scenario, they catch on fire with people on them. Um, and best bad case scenario is that they're failing all the time. So it's my responsibility to make sure that we hire that the right people get hired for the job. Um, of course, once they're on board, I train them on what they need to do. Uh, once they're trained, um, basically, I'm I'm doing their time. I'm providing documentation. I'm providing safety briefings. I'm uh, 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 I'm hands-on with them because, of course, I'm a at that point I'm a hands-on supervisor. And uh, basically, any other. Uh, 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 Anything that needed to be done, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, they would call me for anything. And then if there was something outside of my ability to give an answer, then that's when I would call Mike Moda. Here, let me try to help you out. Let's cut to the chase. Uh, you were responsible for hiring those seven or eight engineers? They're not engineers. They were technicians. and oh, technicians. And, Sorry. Yes, my bad. Te technicians and mechanics. I was involved in their input you, on hiring let me ask a question. Let me ask a question yeah. first. Did you make their assignments? Yes, I did. You did. And did you uh, do the payroll? So I was not authorized to approve payroll. I would do the payroll and it would get submitted. And uh, uh, I believe Michelle, she's since retired, but she was the approver. So I couldn't approve. I would just, you know, they punch in. I that get that gets a done on a document and then it would go to Michelle and Michelle would approve their time. Were the technicians ever given performance evaluation under your supervision? No. Okay. So you weren't part of any performance evaluation planning or uh, issuance or writing of performance evaluation. Again, the culture was no one, you know, there was no culture of writing for, okay. uh, uh, evaluation on anyone. So I, I was never even trained on how to do a, a uh, uh, evaluation. The only evaluations I would give is if uh, if I was asked or if uh, uh, I made decisions on on uh, who would I determine to be uh, uh, um, a lead um, uh, uh, because of their uh, uh, their their uh, skill set and being able to communicate with people and and their skill set knowledge and 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 whatnot. Um, uh, but as far as Physically writing an evaluation for each individual there, that did not happen. Okay, one last question. Were you told uh, by your supervisor in super, when you're supervising these seven or eight technicians that if anything uh, happened uh, in terms of uh, discipline, that you would be responsible for writing them up and attending scallies, I guess? Well, th well that's what in I other did. Words, were you responsible for progressive discipline? Yes, that's what I did do. I would, I would, I would write if it went to where it required more than a, a, a verbal or a written warning, then that would get forwarded to Mike Moda. And if depending on what kind of uh, uh, infraction it was, it might be forwarded to the um, to the superintendent of the facility instead. And how long were you on this LRV campaign? Supervising the, the how many? Sorry, for the Harris Radio one, I believe that was approximately three years. I, again, I don't have the exact dates right here. I can look them up, but uh, um, that one was approximately three years. 
Um, the propulsion campaign, that was approximately three to four years. Um, uh, 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 yeah. Let me see. Hold on. I can. Trying to see if I can get a date for you for the uh, for the Harris Radio standby. Can the department respond to that, please, in terms of the LRV campaign where he said he had supervised employees? Um, not really sure. Can you repeat the question again? I'm not sure we have. Well, he mentioned that when he was on the LRV campaign for approximately between three to four years, that he supervised um, seven or eight technicians. So, first, to hear that is kind of confusing to me because there are no technicians underneath MOTA's jurisdiction. Okay. So, a lot of times, you know, things will come, let's say a vehicle breaks down or something like that. They ship things off to the electrical electronic shops and the electronic shops then do the work. Um, I cannot say that I was here back in 2014, 2015, 2016 to, you know, see all the things that happened at that time, which is why we relied on the division to give us a good amount of that information. Um, to is state about MD back then that. Is there an org chart dating back to 14, 15, 16? Um, not that I could easily find in our records for me to pull up. Um, that's why we did go back to the division representatives. So Emily Williams was mentioned as part of the appellant's response. Emily Williams is one of the division representatives for the transit division. Um, as part of that original letter that was provided back in 2021, there were sheets provided by Emily Williams to support that letter. Um, as far as just like simple logs and things like that, but they did not show the full extent of supervisory duties that we would have been expecting. They would show more somebody that would have been in a leader role, possibly a project manager role, but not necessarily a full-blown supervisor. Um, so that's essentially why you know, I can't project necessarily, but the chief people officer did not certify that letter because we did not have enough information to show that this was both electronics work and as part of that electronics work was involved with the supervision. Um, and both of those pieces have to be combined together to be qualified. Can I speak real quick? Uh, yes. Yeah, again, if they would have just reached out to Mike Moto or, or, or reached out to Emily Williams again, all that could have been clarified. And even without having to speak to anyone, if they would have just looked at all that data that I've provided them that they still have in their position and actually went through it or reached out to me to ask me, where is this or where is that? Or can you confirm this? Can you confirm that? I would be able to do that. I still can do that. Um, but that was, that, that did not happen. Uh, I got a wall everywhere I turned. Okay. Thank you. Um, commissioners, any additional questions? And Vice President Favetti has joined us. Welcome. Okay, no, no additional questions, commissioners. Is anyone ready to make a motion?
Commissioner Salveson. Um, the, the documents in this file are extensive. Um, the department has gone through, um, to my mind, a clear analysis of the position they took. I do think it is the department's prerogative to require clear documentation of, of a supervisory status in a situation where an, an applicant is claiming uh, to have worked out of class. Uh, this is not a situation where the supervisory um, time was in an acting role. We're, we're, we're trying to cobble together additional supervisory time in a working out of class uh, approach. Mm -hmm. And I think given that, um, I haven't heard anything that um, suggests to me that the department is out of line in uh, the parameters that it's set. Uh, so I would make a motion to um, adopt the report and deny the appeal. Um, Commissioner Leon. I'm I'm struggling with the fact that uh, Mr. Sanabria qualified as a 7287, if I heard it correctly, back in 2014, and he was number two on the eligibility list, and that the department testified or mentioned today that there wasn't any change in terms of minimum qualification between 14 and the current uh, posting, other than you know a different evaluator uh, for a different period. Um, it doesn't say in this current posting that the three years supervisorial responsibility has to be within, let's say, the last five years of your uh, work experience. Uh, if that was the case, then I, I think I would go along with the motion, but I'm still struggling with the fact that minimum qualifications have not changed. He qualified in 2014. Nothing has changed since then, even if he didn't have any additional work experience between 2014 and 2020. Two or three when this thing was opened up, I think he would still qualify for the position. I would think. I don't know. Maybe uh, Commissioner uh, Vice President Favetti. Uh, and excuse me, it's, I'm negative for COVID, but um, I have a very serious asthma climatic condition that was brought on by the smoke pollution. Couple of weeks ago. Anyway, um, my understanding, if I recall correctly, we have heard a number, a couple of appeals where individuals had qualified in around 2014 for various positions, and yet when the exam was reissued or the announcement was reissued, did not qualify. And there was some more stringent review, I understand, in more recent years than in previous years. Is that correct? And that did that affect Mr. Uh, the the appellant? I don't know about the 2014 time period necessarily, but I will say that you know when we review applications, we have um, for the external experience, we are reviewing it a lot based on what is written on the application. So, you know, if it's dated electronics work on the application and the supervisory is there and it seems like a high enough level, that could be a reason I could see like a prior application would have been reviewed just simply based on the external experience, not necessarily the internal. 
Um, the internal, we do have a requirement from this commission to basically look at personnel records and look at the personnel um, log to make sure that, you know, statements that are put on the application are actually in alignment with reality. So, for example, we'll see applications for a person that says that they've been in a certain classification from 2014 to 2023, and we look into their personnel work and we basically find out they've had four different classifications over that time period. It wasn't just one class. Um, so we are required for the internal work to basically look at it a lot more stringently, make sure that you know, the information as provided is in alignment with the classification. At the same time, a person gets get credit for the classification to which they're appointed. So, um, you know, if something is stated in a classification, they're going to get that credit under 410.9. Um, so I don't know if that, you know, previous analysts saw something on the original application that basically specified for the outside employer, electronics with the supervision. Um, as I stated, the letter from Moda back in 2014 didn't even say anything about supervisory. So I can't see how that particular letter would have been what qualified Santa Bria. Um, and that's all I can really project on that question. Okay. Um, based on my evaluation of the materials and testimony that I've seen heard so far, I have not um, heard anything that would prevent me from seconding the motion. So therefore, I second. Vice President, did you second the motion that's on the floor? Yes, I did. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so we have a motion and a second to uh, adopt the report, uh, thereby denying the appeal. Uh, we will now take public comment on the motion. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium if uh, MTA could sit down for a minute. Mm. And if you're on the telephone, you may press start. Steve Zeltzer, United uh, Front Committee for a Labor Party. I, I don't understand why if you qualify uh, for the job under a previous um, offer for job and you apply again, you're not qualified. The qualifications haven't changed. So why would you be not qualified from one to another when the qualifications don't change? That's the question. So it seems to me that uh, he should be qualified. He should be made, uh, you know, able to, to get this job. And what 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 has changed? Uh, thank you for your comments. Any additional public comment? President Miner, no public comment at this time. Okay. Can can uh, I add one more thing? Uh, is that the appellant? Yes. Yes, uh, you have uh, one minute. Okay, I, I just want to add, uh, I mean, we're coming quick to this judgment, which final is final. I have to accept what it is, obviously. Um, but I still don't understand why can't uh, 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 my information be vetted? Why why can't, you know, the, the, the people that ultimately can confirm my 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 uh, skill set and work ethic and the, and the work the, the work that I've done throughout all these years, um, which I choose to take without getting paid for that I should have been, um, why can't they just reach out to them, pick up the phone or go through the data that I have and uh, uh, that I've presented to them, um, you know, instead of just finalizing this? Uh, right, I, I, I don't understand that aspect either. I just wanted to mention that. Okay. President Minert, 
Um, this is Elizabeth. There's someone that just raised their hand. Okay. So I'll unmute the person. Caller, please state and spell your name for the record. Hi, this is Dante uh, Vickers, D-O-N-T-E-V-I-C-K-E-R-S, business representative, local 1414. Um, one of the comments that I have to say about this, um, he seems like, I'm, I'm listening, and it seems like it's not, I believe that he is, um, hmm, that he is capable of doing that job and he is qualified. But the thing about this, we can be in this situation if a member that he shouldn't be working out of his classification. So if he wasn't working out of his classification, we wouldn't even be here. So I put that on SFMTA, but because he did, he is working out of his classification. He's not getting paid for it. He's been doing it for uh, for the past uh, couple of years. Um, and it seems like to me he does have the qualification. So that's all I got to say right now. Okay. Uh, thank you for your public comment. Um, we have some additional public comment in the room. Please come to the mic. Hi again, Kimberly Cox, SFMTA, former employee. I just want to give my hat and kudos out to the appellant because this is something that happens a lot in SFMTA. I had a similar situation, but I'm not going to go into it because it's more legal. However, I applied for a position at SFMTA and I applied on the city side, right? The city side took the test, was like number two or what have you. SFMTA denied it. So they have a history of doing these types of things. You know, if he qualified in 2014, he should have also qualified in later years. I just wanted to make that comment. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your comment. Any additional public comment? President Minor, no further public comment. Okay, thank you. Um, commissioners, we're ready to move to the roll call vote on the motion to adopt the report, thereby denying the appeal of appellant uh, Cenebria. Uh, Vice President Favetti? Aye. Commissioner Crawley? No. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leon? No. And I also vote no. Um, and so the motion fails uh, two to three with commissioners um, Crawley, Leon, and Minor voting no. Um, Another motion, right? I assume so because um, when a denial of so do we assume that the opposite is first time since I've been on the deputy city attorney Kate Kimberlin here? No, there needs to be another motion being made in order to uh -huh. uh, make an alternative uh -huh. finding. Okay. Um Okay, um, 
Commissioners in the negative, would one of you make a motion, please? I would okay. move to Granting. grant the appeal mm -hmm. based on the information that we have, and I heavily vote in favor of the difference between 2014 and today. Mm -hmm. Even though the records are not reflective of those earlier times, but later times. So I would move in that, that direction, Madam Chair. Okay. And is there a second? Second. Okay. Um, we have a motion um, before the commission to uh, grant the appeal of appellant uh, Santa Maria. Uh, if you have public comment on the motion, and if you're in the room, you may come to the podium. If you're on the telephone, press star three. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. Um, Commissioner Savarol, call vote on the motion to uh, grant the appeal of appellant uh, Santa Bria. Vice President Favetti. Nay. I Aye. believe that it's important or Go ahead. it is very important to adhere to the requirements. And although Mr. the appellant may have qualified in 2014, circumstances today must be looked at it fresh and it's uh, not the same day. So that's and um, Commissioner Crawley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye. Okay. So uh, vote is three to two uh, with commissioners, with Commissioner Vice President Favetti and Commissioner Salveson voting no to uh, grant the appeal of, of appellant uh, Santa Maria. Uh, thank you, thank you um, all for being here and um, for this discussion. And uh, we are ready to move to the next agenda item. Um, Sorry. I think we need to just take a quick health break and also, um, I believe we, if it's okay to do 11 and 12 and then do closed session. Okay, good. Uh, um, we... just, just for the record, um, the commission will be taking a break and proceeding in order, um, as opposed to the original announcement, which was that items 10 and 11 would be heard, or I'm sorry, 11 and 12 would oh. be heard after the closed session, um, because Vice President Fetty was able to arrive and the intent was to hold those mm -hmm. matters with her present. Um, we can go ahead and continue in order on the agenda. Is that correct, President Minor? Yes, that is correct. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. And, but only a five minute break so we can work through this. And the time is 5.24 PM. We, we have returned, it is now 5.37 PM. Um, at the commissioner's request, I will call out both items 11 and 12. Uh, yes, please. 
Item 11, proposed changes to Civil Service Commission Rules 102, 202, and 302 definitions, 109, 209, and 309 position classification, 114, 214, and 314 appointments, 120, 220, and 320 leaves of absence, 121, 221, and 321 layoffs to modernize and expedite hiring, recommendation accept the report and post proposed amended rules. Item 12, proposed amendments to Civil Service Commission Rules 113, 213, and 313, certification of eligibles to modernize and expedite hiring. Recommendation, accept the report and post proposed amended rules. Um, thank you. Uh, DHR? Good evening, commissioners. My name is Dan Kaplan, and I'm the manager of our strategy and analytics team within the HR modernization program within DHR. Um, I'm here this evening to present a rule change uh, regarding the changing the definition of citywide seniority to align it with practices uh, and advances in technology and to create a system efficiencies. The current rule 102.27 sets employee seniority to the date of certification rather than the appointment date. The Department of Human Resources is seeking a change to rule 102.27 to use the appointment date to establish employee seniority and the other rules that rely on it. The main um, drivers and reasons for this are threefold. The first, um, the use of the certification date to establish employee seniority prevents the Department of Human Resources from fully automating the referral process, which leads to extraneous steps in the hiring process. Currently, the Department of Human Resources operations team issues each referral. This step, which is currently performed by staff, could be fully automated. Uh, this would allow system-generated issuance of the referral as soon as the request to fill is approved. The second point is that departments cluster positions due to the existing rule and then do not have consistent practices or timelines on completing the hiring process once the positions have been approved to fill. This results in system congestion and processing delays. And finally, reliance on the date of appointment to establish seniority would allow the city to take full advantage of technology for refreshing referrals tied to continuous lists. Currently, departments must request new referrals once they want to establish the list, so they don't end up with a hire when the seniority date that precedes uh, when they were added to the list. This would provide hiring managers with up-to-date candidate pools and reduce processing delays. And with that, um, I'd like to invite my colleague, Sean Sherburn, from uh, our Employment Services Group. Good evening, Commissioner Sean Sherburn, uh, Assistant Director with the Department of Human Resources. I'm lowering the microphone uh, substantially, uh, so we're going to get this situated. Um, I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity to assage what I know are um, sincerely held concerns around changes to seniority uh, and to pick up where my colleague uh, Dan has, uh, has brought us about why we're here. So technology being the driver, I bring to the table, I bring to this discussion that we are very much uh, attuned to the fact that this is a substantial change uh, for many people to uh, to come to terms with. What we did in um, in developing 
this set of rule amendments was want to make sure that we are keeping our current city employees whole, that we are not uh, affecting seniority for our current employees. And so what you're seeing in the definition, in particular, the definition of citywide seniority is that it would remain in place for current appointees. It would remain, it would be unchanged. Where it would change is moving forward. And that's really what was important to us because it allowed everything that Dan and our colleagues on the hiring modernization team and DHR in the city are trying to do is to automate processes moving forward. So everything up until the commission takes action to actually adopt the rule amendments, those seniority dates will remain. Those are certification-based seniority dates, so the date that the uh, an approved position was attached to an eligible list. From the date where the commission uh, ideally, optimistically will approve, uh, and adopt these rule changes, it will become the appointment date. Um, I think many of you, many people, myself included, for a long time thought my appointment date was my seniority date anyways. Uh, as a seasoned HR person, I'm a little bit embarrassed that in my nascent stages that that's what I thought. I think in most places, people do think their uh, appointment date is their seniority. So to a certain extent, there's a little bit of um, bringing into accord perceptions, but also the standards. And so what we wanted to do here was I wanted to highlight that very important piece that we're not affecting people's current seniority and everyone moving forward. It will be the appointment date, but everyone will be similarly situated as we've spelled out in the rule amendments. The other thing I wanted to highlight is we had some uh, uh, a very astute dialogue at the last commission meeting when director Eisen brought up this change and there were questions about, well, what about specific scenarios? And so we wanted to make sure I put in the report, uh, a number of scenarios where seniority, uh, either is, uh, driven a driver in this process or is a, uh, a significant, a plays a part in the process. And so what I did to, uh, again, to assuage concerns that, uh, you all may have, and that other parties, uh, may have is to highlight those specific circumstances where once the rules have been, uh, adopted, that there would not be a change, uh, in seniority that people, once they have their seniority will maintain their, or once they have seniority, maintain their seniority. Uh, so those scenarios, I think are very helpful for all of us. It was helpful for us on the DHR side to just make sure that what we were doing, uh, was consistent and was something that was going to, um, something that was going to be able to be both administered from a systemic standpoint with my colleagues on HRMP, but also from us who are speaking with employees and departments and future employees to wanna make sure that this is something that would have no impact uh, on those employees. Um, so I think those scenarios are going to be very helpful for this discussion, uh, obviously helpful. We are hoping uh, as you read the report um, and then from there, we really, um, I'm going to turn it over to, um, to, uh, our, our director of employment services. But before I do, we are very much looking forward to a robust discussion with, uh, once the commission, uh, adopts to post or, uh, votes to post these rules, having this discussion that we're having now, but also having it in a more robust fashion with our labor partners. We know there are sensitivities around this. I want to be at the forefront and, and sharing with them that this, the intent of this rule change 
is to drive system functionalities as uh, my colleague Dan uh, uh, spoke to, but without impacts on employees. So with that, um, and before, um, uh, before I take any questions, I want to hand it over to uh, our Director of Employment Services, Anna Biospis. Thank you, Sean. Good evening, President Minor, Vice President Vivetti, members of the Commission, and Executive Officer Ng, Anna Biaspis, Employment Services Director with the Department of Human Resources. Since uh, both items 11 and 12 are have been combined, uh, I'm here today to seek the Commission's approval to change rules 113, 213, and 313 certification of eligibles from a minimum certification rule of rule of three scores to a default certification rule of rule of the list for all continuous class-based um, civil service examinations designated by the Human Resources Director. The primary reason we uh, need rule of the list for uh, continuous testing is really threefold. To modernize our testing process, create its systems efficiencies, and reduce time to hire for high vacancy and high turnover rate classifications. Uh, the intent of continuing the continuous testing itself is one, always have an active eligible list uh, so we're able to make immediate hires. Two, constantly refresh the list with new talent to consider. And three, capture applicants when they are ready versus when we're ready to give the test in which time they may no longer be interested. To further explain why we are seeking rule of the list for uh, continuous testing is because rule of the list allows departments to consider all eligibles who pass the exams for city jobs. With a limited certification rule like rule of three scores, which is currently the default certification rule for all exam types, applicants interested in city jobs who take the time to apply, take our test, become eligibles, may never be contacted because they're nev just never going to be reachable, which defeats the purpose of continuous testing. Also, without rule of the list, hiring managers from multiple departments will really compete with one another um, uh, for the same group of eligibles, especially with subsequent um, referrals. They may also not be able to consider a candidate they previously interviewed and liked uh, through the initial certification, which allows them to reach further down because of the number of positions versus a subsequent certification, which they only have the first three ranks if it was rule of three. With rule of the list, we can also create system efficiencies. DHR systems currently calculate reachable ranks on every referral. Uh, use of rule of the list for continuous testing, we eliminate that step in the system to calculate because everybody is reachable. With this change, along with the proposed rule change in seniority, if adopted, would allow DHR to fully automate um, the refreshing of continuous testing referrals. 
Through our recent launch of continuous testing um, with rule of the list, such as the admin analyst series, the human resources analyst series, the management assistant um, series, along with a recently stationary engineer DHR leveraged technology and converted the pre-employment test to on online on demand. This enabled the city to refresh the eligible lists much faster and ultimately fill our vacancies quicker. It also made the city become uh, basically a more attractive employer because eligibles were contacted a lot faster after adoption, regardless of what score or rank they received. Lastly, I'd like to comment that while candidates relative score is an important indicator of job success with regard to their technical skills. Other factors such as diligence, human relation skills and closely related experience may also predict job success, which unfortunately cannot be measured in a written multiple choice exam. Although this is not specifically in the report. It's certainly a reason uh, to have rule of the list. So I will now turn it back over to Dan Kaplan from our hiring modernization team to highlight how rule of the list has decreased our time to hire and staff processing for a recent uh, CCTs that does have rule of the list. Good evening again, Dan Kaplan. Um, so rule of the list is crucial for supporting CCT implementation as already as has already been stated. Um, and this has two net benefits. It both helps to reduce the time to hire while also um, resulting in or can result in significant reductions to our staff workload. Um, as was mentioned earlier, when it comes to our junior and administrative analyst series, um, we recently ran a citywide process that netted us significant time savings. Um, on background, uh, the city recently launched an online on-demand exam that was a CCT for both the 1820 and 1822 series. Um, we subsequently la launched a coordinated PRSP process. So could you refresh my memory again now? What is CCT? Uh, I'm sorry, continuous exams. Continuous. Continuous class-based tests. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, we subsequently uh, conducted a coordinated post-referral selection process with a number of departments throughout the city. What this resulted in is our fastest hire was made in 99 days between when the job ad was published, published to when an offer was extended. Um, comparing this with the citywide median of our historical data, which shows that for 1820s being hired through the PCS position over the past year, it took a median timeline of about 210 days, so less than half the timeline. Um, we anticipate that this will get even faster as the CCT matures, um, and that's because there's a significant savings from no one-time startup activities with launching a new assessment. These include writing the job descriptions and posting, obtaining enough applications and applicants to assess the validity of the assessment, and determining pass points. Moving forward, this will be done on a continuous basis where candidates will make it onto the list in short order. Um, in addition to the argument around time to hire, um, we also witnessed significant opportunities for workload reductions. 
We estimate an over a 75% workload savings for HR colleagues to hire in this cohort manner, considering the fact that we were hiring for over 40 positions across these two classes. Um, contrasting this with what the alternative or status quo would have been, it would have been 40 separate recruitments conducted by 40 separate hiring teams using 40 different, 40 different methodologies. Um, what this process allowed for was much more standardization in a selection process and in our screening criteria. With that, um, we conclude our remarks and are happy to answer any questions. Uh, thank you, uh, commissioners. We are taking both agenda items and so questions related to either. Um, Vice President Favetti. I have questions and comments. Um, so you have to bear with me. Uh, one, I noticed that for um, the proposed changes on uh, regarding seniority, we don't have corresponding rules from MTA. And it's really important uh, for us. We can't, if we're going to have two systems, we need to have bridge language between the two systems and how it's going to be administered. If we're going to have one system, then we need to be able to consider everything all at once. And I think that that will be tied in as MTA responds, um, because the comments that I have today, I think, um, go to, uh, oh, and oh, before I even start that, I want to thank you for all the different scenarios. That was very much appreciated. Um, I want to go over where I think the language needs to be tightened. Um, to make sure that we don't, that we are fair to everybody, um, that we make sure that we distinguish between those who have reached permanent status and those who are provisional. We don't want to accidentally say, set up the situation where somebody who's provisional can say, hey, I got that appointment and that, that time should be added to my seniority. It has to be fair. It has to be once you become permanent and we have to use those criteria that we necessarily need to distinguish between civil service seniority and provisional appointment and contract seniority too. So then we, because that can get all mixed up. So as I'm going through my remarks and I'm sure that Mr. Miles is gonna say something, I hope, um, so we can figure out what we're gonna be doing for the future. And, but I just wanna make sure that we have some kind of concurrence with regard to MTA about what is going to be happening for the future. So let us start at 102.27. Unfortunately, maybe my remarks that were sent, uh, I had them um, highlighted, but I don't know that the highlights came through very well. So, and unfortunately I could not edit your documents that would have, I would have added my comments to your documents, but I couldn't do that. So I'll have you know, I was up very early in the middle of the night doing this. <laughs> because I love this so much. <laughs> no, mostly because I want to make sure everything's fair. But um, permanent, permanent seniority shall be determined by the appointment date of the employee following certification. We have to make it very clear for all future generations coming up that there's got to be a certification. And, it's a certif and I hope the certification is still going out. I understand it's still going out, correct? Yes, I'm hearing an okay. So um, from an eligible list. Eligible list, there's very many different types of eligible lists. You've got your your holdover roster, you've got your standard eligible list, you've got, but there's got to be that tie-in and to so that that is clear. 
So it's following a certification from an eligible to a permanent position. So this is what I'm proposing that you change it to. With regard to reappointment, um, that the seniority, their new appointments, you're following reappointment certification to a position in the class. A person could be reappointed, they could be provisional pending a permanent appointment, and it's important not to get any of that stuff mixed up. So that clarifies that, I think. And if, you know, I'm open to change, but just see, these are for everybody's considerations, everybody's consideration. On 102.27.2, uh, determine again appointment date following the, of the employee following certification from an eligible list. Same thing, 102.27.4. This is a really good idea to have citywide seniority included in the rules because we've never really done it. And so this helps, but I have a recommendation for clarity. Number 1, that you have it very clearly stated prior to such date, effective such date, and then to tie it to the layoff rule where there are, I, where you've called them identical dates, where in actuality, if you tie it to the layoff rule, it says ties in seniority. So, in the event of seniority. Uh, ties and seniority, seniority shall be determined as elsewhere provided in the rules on layoff. And so in this case, un, unusually, we refer to an actual rule, but I didn't refer to the number, so it's, we don't have to worry about changing the number. Uh, ditto for 109.15, my favorite civil service seniority for status grant. I'm saying, okay, as defined in these rules, so we go back to the consistency definition. So it makes it very clear that when you're you're going what what the seniority is by the definition. And so it is going to very clearly state pre, post, and um 114.5.5. Again, citywide seniority is defined. 114.21. Again, uh, I added following certification, and I can give you the um I guess maybe the the uh, bolded one it would help for you to follow. The same with the 120 the uh, uh, military leave rule. Again, following that it's a date of appointment following certification, and if if a person is subsequently turned that they if they um, waive or they offer an appointment and and they waive, then they're subsequently recertified. So again, it's appointed following separate certification. So you always tie it to you've got the appointment date. Yes, and that's recognized. But at the same time, you tie it into the fact what is the key factor that makes a person permanent civil service or civil service? And that is the it's important for us to do that. Uh, 120.26 on military leave. It's the same issue uh, following certification. Then we get into our layoff rule, 121.2.1. Again, clarifying and making sure that it ties to the definition in 102 on both cases for permanent seniority and temporary from the eligible list. 121.4.2, I know that we used original seniority in one of our rules. It's a holdover from even before, from, I can't tell me, I can't, maybe the 60s, I'm not sure, but anyway. But what I thought would be important to do is um, to tie it to the definition. And the question I had in 121.4.2, so the provisions are, if requested by the human resources director, the appointing officer shall provide a seniority roster, including but not limited to the name status, citywide seniority date. The question I have, appointing officer has no authority over a citywide seniority date. So how are they going to provide that? They, they don't, that's DHR's authority. It's not 
It's not the, the appointing officer. The appointing officer only has authority over departmental seniority. So that's my question. I think you need to take a look at it. So that's, um, and then as we, uh, for the remaining rules, what I just, in, where it says original citywide seniority reference, change it to citywide seniority as defined in these rules. Uh, ditto for 202 through 2.14.22, um, but on section 214.25, advancement in class based on post certification, um, I wanted to clarify that, you know, in fact, I was looking at the wording and I remember when we were doing that, it's got kind of convoluted. Um, so I was hoping that this clarifies it. It should state civil service status seniority shall be determined by the date of appointment following certification to a permanent civil service position in class Q2, Q35, Q50, Q60, and Q80. And that should help. So, um, you don't see the bold, I bet, or the, um, not the bold, but the highlight, the yellow highlighter. Yeah, so I don't know how to do that, how to correct that, but that's for those rules. On the certification rule. Um, oh, did I, oh, there was one, there was one other, I'm sorry, there was, um, on the deputy sheriffs, 114.21, um, I, I wasn't quite sure what you meant in that, so I just put in following certification. So I hope that was right, so double check. Um, for the certification rule, you know, when we went to the expanded rules, one of the things we were looking at is expanding rules completely. And what I'd like to propose is that we say that for promotive and combined promotive entry, uh, CPE, combined promotive and entry lists, that unless mutually agreed upon that the employee organizations representing the class in the Department of Human Resources to use a broader rule, the rule of three shall be used exclusively, except for entry. Entry to the city should be open to all. That is my feeling. It's been a long time feeling that we should increase our opportunities to as many people as possible. People should not be having to go on the list and then just never get called, never have the opportunity. The thing is, rule the list for entry level allows for people to have greater opportunity. And so, although the human resources director is proposing continuous testing, I would like to say that to entry to the city and our entry only classes should be rule of the list. Um, and then same for, uh, this goes on for the expansion, the certification rule for entry only and continuous testing eligible shall be rule of the list. I, however, was thinking too that perhaps there might be a time when the Department of Human or Human Resources Director may not want that, um, and was also considering and toying with the language with unless otherwise directed by the Human Resources Director, um, the certification rule for entry only and those eligible list in classes designated as continuous testing by the Human Resources Director would be rule of the list. In all others, and if there's no mutual agreement, rule of three would apply. Um, then in the rule 200 and 300, the, the uh, uniform ranks of police and fire, uh, this is just a cleanup thing um, you have here. You've added it to uh, rule of the list for continuous list, continuous list classes. 
on 213.3.4 and 313.3.4. Um, the intent of when we develop those rules, um, that those that should just be the kind of like a definition section. And so that should be moved over to establish a separate section called 213.8 and 313.7. These are my comments. Um, I'd be, if I can Xerox it so that you can, or Xerox it, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Kleenex. Copy it. <laughs> Copy it. <laughs> or forward it to you with the highlights. I would be glad to do so, so you can see what you're doing. But I do believe that this tightens the language up. It protects people in, in, in all of our employees and it protects future employees. That also provides for a bridge for new employees coming up to see what the genesis and the roots of civil service seniority are. It protects that at the same time, modernizing it and allowing you to automate as much as you possibly can. Anyway, that's, those are my comments. In a nutshell. Yeah, I was going to say, Director Biaspis, do you have any comments on what you've heard thus far? Uh, First and foremost, I want to thank you for working extra early in the morning and late at night on these rule changes. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Looking at your proposals, uh, it makes it does make sense to us. Um, and at this time, we have no objections. With regard to um, the 121.4.2, we will take that back because um, you're correct. I, I, um, I'm not sure why the rule was written the way it was when usually the it's backwards. It's kind of the human resources director has that. And, um, but we will look into it mm -hmm. and see if we have, um, if we have any concerns, but so far we have no objections and really appreciate all the work that you have put only you can <laughs> you you know all the rules that tie together and um um so we thank you for just knowing the history and um and tightening the rules it's just a matter of tightening it up i think but it also protects people and it, yes. it protects people yes and yeah. it, it does make sense to us completely for me it's really important um because um it's it's, it's having to administer and i know that a lot of you have had to administer layoffs and having never experienced myself yes your job you know the, the one the beauty of our system i consider is that we may have reductions in force, but we lay off very few people. Yes. But even so, even if a person has to reinstate to a former class, or if they have to move, it has everything to do with your identity on a personal level. Yes. It has everything to do with what your future is going to be. Um, and it's a very traumatic kind of thing. And so it's important for us to make sure that we safeguard. Plus, we all in this room know all what we're discussing. We need to also think of the people coming up from the ranks. Yes. And so we need to be able to tie where this appointment is. And that's that's but and to distinguish it from other types of seniority. So, yes, I think we believe you've um, provided more clarity mm -hmm. by adding the words that you have. Um, but since I'm up here, I want to get William Miles on record that he is in agreement with um, our rule changes on behalf of MTA. So, Anna, be also so contact my boss. 
no. Um, I, I do fully agree with Kate Favetti's statement that especially the seniority rule, like if we're going to have this out there for, you know, some classifications on the city side, we have to have this universal across the, whatever we do for seniority has to be universal because when we have holdovers, when we have anything that has to do with layoffs or decisions like that, like it's going to be important for people to have one understanding of what that means. Um, so we'll be coming forward with the same proposal as far as DHR and uh, I'll get the notes as far as like the amendments that were requested. Um, sorry, we couldn't do it for this meeting just with the other reports we had and other work like we weren't able to make that really happen. Um, for the rule of the list, we're also fully in support of that. We do feel like that will bring forward a lot in the realms of continuous testing. I know we've had conversations in front of this commission about like where are the pain points I mean, continuous testing actually happen. Um, I, in particular, have been asked why I have not made transit operator continuous over the many years. And quite frankly, it's because I don't want those candidates that have been waiting on the list longer to keep getting pushed back and back and back and never be considered. So if we had continuous for it, that might give me more of a methodology to basically state that those candidates that have been waiting still get some sort of priority moving forward. And they're not waiting because people keep ranking above them and above them when they keep testing in the process. Um, and that's kind of how we have it today. You know, we have eligible lists every three months for 9163, and therefore we make sure that those candidates that applied earlier get considered earlier, and we go through the list before we move on to another one. So that provides that. I do want to make mention that as part of my proposal, I might add one rule, or actually a removal of a rule on at 7MTA side, because it does not exist on the city side, to my belief that there is a limit on continuous tests for a 12-month duration for eligibility. Um, so I would like to have that removed to give us a little bit more flexibility because I do think that it's important, even if it was 15 months, to give us the ability to reach out to candidates, let them reapply, and you know have that process with our continuous program. Um, but yes, we are in support of these, and we will <clears throat> put a report forward. Um, the only thing I want to say in addition to what uh, Commissioner Favetti said, I think I'm very appreciative of the rule that you added that stated 40 entry and 6 a.m. either the, I think I heard, Department of Human Resources or Director of Transportation might be able to not do um, rule to lists for certain ones. And I think, you know, I see the advantages of it to a point, but for some lists, I think it would be a disadvantage. So, for example, our station agents. We get over a thousand applications for me filling two positions a year. Um, so having our hiring managers go through that many applications to filter down for those positions, I think that would be one where it might not be advantage. Um, but in many cases throughout the city, our clerks, our analysts, um, I do see that having you know really good pathways for employees to gain city or sorry, applicants to gain city employment. So it's not on the on the uh, handout that was distributed. And so it would be to add, unless otherwise directed by the human resources director or the director of transportation, so that it allows for, I, I remember when we did transit, in fact, it hit the New York Times. We had, we had one position available for transit car cleaner. We had 60,000 applications. <laughs> it was in the middle of the So, you know, you, you, it was just jammed. It, the post office, everybody, you know, it was, it was in post office days. So, anyway, hmm. there we go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you all.
Okay, so that would be the, the statement that I would add. So I would, anyway, that's my comment. Uh, thank you. Uh, commissioners, additional questions or comments? Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Uh, I, had, I have a question for Director Biaspis. Um, when we're talking about rule of the list uh, and continuous testing and the managers um, deciding or appointing uh, officers deciding uh, you know who to interview who to hire how would you expect them to go about that selection with a rule of the list situation well um so th there are various methods of um screening the applicant pool i think um jennifer johnston um who was previously the executive officer outlined it in the 2014 memo um and basically you can either screen down based on job related criteria. You can do that. You, you can do an NOI, see who's interested and who doesn't respond. You can do a rank cut. You can just cut saying, you know, there, there's a thousand people here. Um, so I just want rank one who has 200 candidates. Um, and then screen further down through uh, job related criteria, or you could um, do a referral questionnaire to ask more job related questions and see who responds and who uh, relates, um, who comes closer to the job basically, or you could just do a simple interview um, if you have a manageable applicant pool. So there's many ways to screen down through a rule of the list process. And I'm assuming that the identification will apply to these continuous lists. Is that correct? Um, I right currently the identification applies to continuous lists, I believe, except for the 18. 20 and 22 series, uh, which, um. Uh, Director Eisen announced in a civil service commission meeting uh, because we were doing the citywide um, PRSP um, post referral selection process. Um, I mean, it seems to me that de-identification does add some. Um, it 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 does, but it doesn't work sometimes too. Yeah, it seems like it could offer some. Um, Balance against the possibility of abuse or improper yes. of the yes. the list. Yes. Do you do you agree or you see that? So so with it with all eligible lists, obviously de-identification works. However, with a continuous process, it starts getting. How can I put this? Let let me explain the scenario. You do an initial referral, and because you have all these positions. And and departments got, get together, they interview everybody in rank one or five stars or whatever it is. So they've seen the people. The second uh, time that I may have a position, I may have already seen the people in the top ranks. So it doesn't continuously work as it does with discrete lists. You know, you'll you'll start to get to know who the uh, candidates are. Um, and I would have already probably interviewed um, Ms. Alveson 
and met her, et cetera, et cetera. And because I interviewed you, I was able to look at your application. So next go around. I, I liked her, but you know, just one candidate beat you out, but I intend for you to be my next candidate. Well, I have already seen you. I know what your application is. And that's why I say that DID doesn't necessarily work for continuous testing. But at least as to the first the selection process. Yes, the first one, does, but does with yeah, with continuous, it keeps going, right? Okay. I understand that, but uh, and that, but at least with respect to unknowns, it still works. No, it doesn't. Okay. All right. So, um, okay, that's the end of my questioning. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, any additional questions? <clears throat> Uh, executive officer. I want to thank uh, Department of Human Resources with their pro proposals. And we had some time to consider all the many different scenarios. Please understand that uh, definitely we are looking how to expedite hiring, but we are also looking at another responsibility of expanding equity. So I want to thank the department for responding to all my questions, but because I want to make sure anyone who listens to this meeting knows that the Civil Service Commission is, look, is looking at all the different scenarios, not only in expediting hiring, but how Civil Service Seniority Day is very significant to our employees. And it's clear uh, changing it from certification date to appointment date that will be much more clear to our employees. Can you please confirm when you say appointment date, is that normally the start of uh, the pay period or is that considered the start work date? If you could just confirm that. Thank you, Executive Officer Ng. Sean Sherburn again with the Department of Human Resources. I think there's really two parts to your question. I think most departments are going to start people and have their appointment date be the beginning of the pay period. I, I think if there was a payroll person here, they would shake their head furiously, yes, and want us to codify that. However, there are instances where people start uh, are appointed somewhere else within the pay period. So the date that you were appointed and and attached to a to the position is the appointment date. It is defined in our system. It's defined um, in our processes, uh, but it, it is not one specific date. We don't mandate that it be the beginning of a pay period. If you need somebody, I, I'm fairly certain the uh, Civil Service Commission will be hiring an employee, and if they are able to start, you may want to start them sooner than the beginning of a pay period. So clarification, it does go by the appointment date, not the start work date. The appointment date. The start work date can... This is a very this is a very important point. Yes, it can be say a Saturday. We have employees that work all days of the week, but you can actually appoint somebody say on a holiday, and their actual start work date might be a Tuesday. But the date you were appointed is the appointment date, which is why we call it the appointment date. 
Thank you for the clarification. Uh, I just want to prepare our audience here and the many who are listening or will be listening that these are the common questions that employees have come to us, especially when it comes to items such as layoffs, shift bidding, uh, uh, vacation requests, things like that. And we realize that things like that are very dependent on either your MOU or department policy. So I just want to make it clarify because this is a rule proposal that all, whether it's the unions who are listening right now or our employees, they are completely aware of what the difference is. My next question, and if you could just confirm when it comes to status grants, because which happens usually uh, during layoffs or reductions that maybe a classification is deleted and uh, or the department needs to make reductions. So there may be a situation where employees may be near listed. So we do not have to lay off our employees because the city makes every effort to keep our employees employed. Uh, will they still be keeping their original seniority day if they are moving near listing to another classification? This is near list. You can jump. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm being monitored. So <laughs> I, we, we actually anticipated uh, this question. This is a uh, graduate level uh, uh, question. Uh, and so I will try not to give a thesis response. Um, but as we go through a layoff, we are trying to place people into either open positions or uh, based on reverse order of citywide seniority. Assuming all of that plays itself out and to um, Commissioner Favetti's point earlier, more often than not, we are able to find positions for people. There are circumstances, though, to your point, where we may not have enough positions in a class. So we will look to see, is there an equivalent classification that exists in the city where because we don't have enough positions, the least senior person is not offered one. Can the city do anything else? And under our rules, we can, uh, under the director's authority, we can identify an equivalent class and mirror what is a holdover list to a near list in that equivalent class. We will map over the seniority from that. That will, if that's how, um, if there are multiple people on that near list, that side by side, they would be the same and so that we would still have a rank ordering. However, off of a near list, there are different appointment processes. It can be a selective certification or somebody can, um, can come to the commission and they can seek a status grant. In either of those instances, we've talked about that. They're spoken to in the rules elsewhere. It will be based on uh, the new definition of citywide seniority. So that person will get either the selective certification, which is off of an eligible list. So that will be their appointment date uh, in a future state of the rule, or it will be the date that the commission, if, if someone were to come here, were to seek a status grant and be granted status in that class. I didn't hear my, my director stand up behind me until now. Anna may be asking, answering my question. I, I just wanted to um, uh, state that um, in your rules and in your advisor selective certification for those that are near listed, uh, when they're on an eligible list, they are appointed first prior to all eligibles on the list. So they TCS. would have a higher. Yes. Appointed TCS. Yes. 
they would have a higher seniority than all eligibles on the list. So going back to our rule that currently states that uh, in the case that an employee's uh, class is deleted and um, is near listed, the rule actually currently states that they will keep their original civil service seniority date. So I just wanted to confirm that does that remain? And uh, not to make it difficult, but I believe we had a discussion and it, we came to agreement that the original civil service seniority date remain. I am only asking the question to confirm because our employees will automatically come to us. I want it on the record. That's all. Yeah. And we're talking about status grant, correct? Yeah. So to, to clarify and keep us all on the same page, a status grant, we would um, somebody's seniority, citywide seniority. So in a future state, it might be appointment date. For employees now, it's based on certification date. When, when the commission approves uh, that request for status grant, they will maintain their citywide seniority. Whatever it is now and in the future, that's what it will be um, for those employees granted status. So you're hearing it here. Thank you, Sean. You're very good at this. I do have one more question. And keep in mind that when our employees are laid off, First, they go through the department layoff, then it's the citywide layoff, and they all come to the Civil Service Commission with many questions. And um, what I, my question really has to do with more of a DHR procedure. Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure that's clarified. And uh, as uh, your department proposed these rules, I had to think of every scenario that employees and unions have come to our office. So I just want to make sure it's clear. This has to do with a person who has been laid off. So let's say they're on a 1244 position. They were laid off. They're on the 1244 holdover roster. They were able to be returned to duty in a different department. They were unable to pass probation and the department releases them. Will you tell me what was the next step for this employee? Certainly. So I'm going to take a, a quick moment uh, just to say, so being somebody who's been laid off in the past and been the benefit of holdover list and been the benefit beneficiary of, uh, of a placement, I passed probation in that instance. Um, I had these in mind, these thoughts when coming up with these scenarios. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we were communicating them here. So I'm grateful that you're bringing up this point. I also uh, am taking a, a quick moment um, on the production or the, the, the holdover roster or the seniority rosters. So these are documents posted on DHR's website. And I had a quick uh, side, con I will get to your, I will respond back to your question. I'm taking a little bit of a point of privilege. Part of, um, Part of why I think that vestige of the rule is there, and yes, it does need to be uh, it does need to be cleaned up, and I think we will have that opportunity, given the executive director's um, report earlier, to to do more cleanup than just that. But I think part of that is what we have seen in years past with a layoff is that somebody might have taken a leave from their PCS appointment, they subsequently resigned, and the department never effectuated that. And so part of our work at DHR is to 
share the um, the uh, seniority roster, which is available, but you share it in that event of a layoff and go, is this correct? Are you laying off the least senior person? And we have them certify to us, yes, this is the correct uh, ordering of the roster uh, of eligibility. And in some instances, they have identified that person actually did resign from our department and we just didn't take that step. So we wanna make sure that we are being abundantly careful. So getting back to your question, uh, Executive Officer Ng, somebody um, is placed uh, off of a holdover list in a department, they're returned to duty, they fail probation, they go back onto the holdover list, they then um, would have the opportunity uh, to then, uh, the next time an opening comes up, to be um, uh, returned to duty in that department. Uh, and ultimately, if it's the department by happenstance where they were laid off to begin with, they would then um, return back and that would be, uh, there would not be a probation period. And they would still keep their original seniority date. They would still keep their original seniority date. So to continue on with this scenario, and yes, this did happen to an employee, which is why I'm bringing <laughs> it up. Um, so when the employee is returned back to the holdover roster and all our employees will want to keep working and let's say we're unable to return them to duty in the 1244 position the employee had did have an underlying 1241 from which they promoted from so uh, they requested the reinstatement to the 1241 position in this scenario, is the individual still remains on the 1244 holdover roster? They Indeed, they do. So when the person is reinstated to the 1241 position, suddenly the economy has changed and now we have vacancies for 1244. That person will still have priority because they are on the holdover roster? Holdover rosters have priority over any other eligible list. So when the person uh, is able to have the first opportunity for the first 1244 vacant position, will they still keep their original seniority date? They will. Okay, we have that recorded. I wanna make sure all our employees know that our expert, Sean Sharon, was yeah. able to answer that question. And we, we put it in the receipts and the report as well. So I'm reiterating that and I appreciate, thank you. Thank you. And it. It really is the Civil Service Commission staff's responsibility to uh, think about all these different scenarios, because in most cases, when we talk about seniority date, people think about the initial hire. But we have to think of the big picture on why civil service seniority day is so significant. So we want to make sure we think ahead for these scenarios that actually come up and thank goodness do they do not come up often, but we want to be prepared and we want to make sure we are consistent and that the rights are protected. Thank you. Commissioner Leung. Uh, Sean, did I hear you say that appointment dates could be different by department? It could be the first day of work or it could be the first day of the pay new pay period? It can be different between appointments within the same department. So I can, I may be available to start on a Monday. You might be available to start on a Tuesday. The department may decide I need somebody um, now not want to wait for the beginning of the next pay period. I think we see this sometimes with current city employees that the ability to move is a little bit more fluid. Departments, uh, there is no 
policy about when someone has to be appointed. So we are not mandating that somebody be appointed at the start of a pay period. I think this is something that um, you, as a as a former HR director, as somebody who works with our payroll department, every payroll person says it's so much easier to just have them be appointed at the start of a pay period. But as a realist, as a hiring manager, somebody working with hiring managers, if you've waited a, a, a particular period of time, you and somebody is available to start, you may be in a position to start them to appoint them much sooner. So it can it can vary even within the same department. And we want to continue to uh, nothing is changing on that front. We want to continue to provide that flexibility to the hiring managers, to the departments and, and frankly, to employees, too, that I if I don't have a job right now, if I were laid off, I might want to start now, not two weeks from now. Thank you. Uh, commissioners, any additional comments or questions? Uh, executive officer. I uh, just wanted to make a comment both on DHR's proposal of uh, rule the list for continuous list and also Commissioner Favetti's proposal of rule the list for entrance examinations. Really, what we do in the Civil Service Commission, all departments are coming up to us with all the different types of scenarios. And naturally, we do have concerns when it's rule of the list, and we want to make sure there is no favoritism, nepotism, cronyism. And that's why employees come to us all the time asking us to conduct investigations. But some of the things we have been able to witness, not only uh, through the Office of Racial Equity, but the type of uh, situations that the commissions had heard on appeals, one we just heard recently. And we have, if you've noticed, Local 1414 has been making comments. We happen to know that it has been a long time that MTA has been trying to work out uh, the differences between the classifications represented by 1414, differences between uh, classifications by local six, and why MTA has appeared to have changed, why sometimes people were qualified in the past and now they are not being qualified. And just so everyone is aware, this was due to a heavy investigation conducted by the Civil Service Commission when we found that there was not consistency. And it's not so much uh, in how decisions were being made, as you had heard just from the latest case, performance appraisals are not always conducted. At the same time, there may be times when classifications, their work do cross over. And it's very important, and that's what we are trying to do in the commission in terms of train our hiring managers so they understand why it's important to document uh, when the person is performing projects or temporarily performing out-of-class duties. So we also realize, and uh, um, Anna Biaspas also shared that, part of the reason there's rule of the list because just because a person is ranked one or is very good at completing standardized tests, we have learned through experience over the years 
that well-qualified candidates for management positions or other positions, it may be it's not until the department actually has the opportunity to meet these candidates or during the probationary period where they actually see the candidates performing that they realize this was indeed the strongest candidate. And you cannot always tell that by a standardized test or simply because the person is in the top ranks. So one of the advantages of having ruled the list, and I want to point this out because of the tremendous number of investigations we have conducted, that because the Civil Service Commission staff has the authority to look at confidential records, is through the details and the well-documented process, selection process that departments have conducted, that it became clear that although this person is not in the top three ranks, because of other type of experiences that this individual has, the individual end up being the best qualified candidate and so that's something that we do need to keep in mind. So when we do have continuous just rule of three, this individual may never have the opportunity to be hired because they cannot perform well on a standardized task. This is just one example how the city can expand equity and look at different ways because we realistically, we are not able to conduct performance examinations for classifications or see them all perform in a probationary period before we can determine. And sometimes it's online testing or standardized testing. By using rule of the list, whether it's an interest examination or a continuous examination for classifications where we have so many vacancies to fill, it really expands the opportunity for our appointing officers to look at the bigger picture. And keep in mind, departments must still comply with civil service procedures. They cannot merely choose someone because they like the person. There has to be rating criteria established beforehand. There has to be a competitive process established beforehand. And uh, Commissioner Salveson did bring a point. There are some advantages to uh, having de-identification, it may not always work with continuous testing because we may be interviewing the same applicants again. But this is something that the Civil Service Commission will continuously look at and we do rely on all our employees like the ones in here coming up to make public comment and never hesitating to report to us if they are aware that there uh, is favoritism involved. That's what the Civil Service Commission staff is here to investigate. We just ask that those of you who are listening or will be listening to our recordings of our meeting, keep in mind that this is, um, this has been tried for our police, our fire departments, our, our nurses, and now we're trying it uh, with other classifications. Um, not that I want to keep this in the back of everyone's minds, but if we find this after these rule proposals that it does not seem to be fairly hiring individuals, the commission has the authority to still amend the rules again or return to the rules how they were before. The commission has that authority, but again, we will not know until it, it was, uh, the, the, uh, the rules are put into action. Uh, thank you, Executive Officer. Um, any additional questions from commissioners? Uh, 
otherwise, we will transition to uh, public comment. Our executive officer created a good segue. Um, May I, before public comment begins, um, I take it then you're not making any motions today regarding. Um, are you going to continue? I, I don't believe we're to, we're going to take a motion today. Um, Director Biaspis indicated that there were a couple of areas that you wanted to take back. Um, excuse me. Can can we just hear what expected timeline is? Thank you. I just wanted to clarify before we move to public comment. Um, what I was saying was we have no objections. I mean, I, because you said you were waiting for MTA, we can certainly look, but off just what we're reviewing, we have no objections. Okay. So, I mean, if we're not taking a motion today, I just want to get clarity on what the next steps are okay. um, from you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so. Why don't I check in with the with uh, commissioners? Um, we are um, DHR will take a, a second look. Uh, MTA will uh, come back with um, similar changes for uh, volume four, and um, um, I think before posting, at least I would be comfortable seeing the incorporated changes in one document and am hoping that that would be available for the next meeting, which is October 16th. 16th. Hmm. Is that uh, MTA, um, Senior Manager Miles? Yes, that should be okay. Um, the only thing I would need is um, whether it's through Commissioner Favetti, through the Executive Officer, or through DHR, just the notes that uh, Commissioner Favetti has put forward. So I put those okay. into our report too. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Is it uh, possible to send the notes with the highlighting to the department? Because that would make it a lot easier. And then there's the additional comment, um, which I will leave for you here. They'll pass it on to you. Yes, we can forward to um, both departments. Um, Deputy City Attorney Kate Kimberlin, it may be um, useful to append these to the minutes of today's meeting as well. Director Biaspas. Just to be clear, um, MTA needs to submit their red lines with a staff report, and we just need to give a full um, Red line of the rules of volumes one, two, and three. With a comment. Oh, I'm with, sorry, go with, ahead. with your amended comments, which. And, and you'll see on the document there are some questions that you need to answer. Yes. Okay, and, yes. So, and that should also be incorporated with uh, MTA. So there's a. That should also be incorporated with MTAs too. And then the. Uh, Sorry, one uh, comment to add. Um, one of my colleagues just brought to my attention, which I always forget, that uh, the report was technically be due Thursday to make it available for next meeting. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that is possible with getting the comments back and feeding it into the report. I'm not sure if there's any availability to have it after that, but that's the biggest hindrance, I think, is the timeline on that. 
Um, executive officer, maybe you can talk to senior manager miles offline to see what we can do. I think that there is a sense of urgency of getting this on the agenda for the next meeting. We are very close. Yes, we are. And, but it is, he's got work and logistics to figure out, mm -hmm. um, maybe a quick phone call. And I think if the highlighting, if we forward the document, rather than printing the document, the highlighted provision should come through. Thank you. Okay. Okay, so I think based on uh, the discussion, we will uh, move forward with public comment, no motion um, at today's meeting. So we're ready to take public comment. Um, please come to the podium. Yeah, Steve Zeltzer, uh, United Front Committee for a Labor Party. Well, first of all, I think that what we're ex facing, uh, city workers and public workers, not just here, but around the country, probably in the future is thousands and many, many thousands of workers facing layoff in San Francisco, especially with the economic situation. So, uh, and at the same time, we have an attack on, on public employees with privatization and outsourcing. Now, I think working people have to be concerned and public workers that uh, this economic downturn that we're facing in San Francisco, they're gonna pay the cost of that. Because in every economic, major economic downturn, who do they attack? public workers, attack their pensions, medical benefits, other conditions of public workers. So that comes aside, alongside what is going on in the city and county of San Francisco, in which we heard today that there's a lot of uh, legal cases now uh, about law, probably about the illegal discharge and termination of thousands of workers because they would not take a vaccine. Now, our Department of Human Resources has said they want to assuage us about these changes that they're making. Uh, why haven't they done a survey uh, of the systemic discrimination in the city and county of San Francisco? Why haven't they done a survey of employees, what they think employee, about the rule of the list and the rule of three? Because basically, uh, what is the merit system? What is the merit system? The merit system is you have a qualification based on what? Well, it has been a test. So if you get rule, rid of the rule of three and go back to rule of list, that offers more opportunity for nepotism, corruption, and cronyism. And we know that there is that that exists in San Francisco. There's a lot of evidence of that uh, in the city and county of San Francisco. And this corruption, systemic corruption in the city and county of San Francisco is from the top, from the top down. And I think that uh, the changing of the rule of three to the rule of the list is going to lead to more nepotism, more cronyism, and uh, more unfair and discriminatory treatment uh, for the public and the workers in San Francisco. So I think uh, those city workers, and I'm a little surprised that there are no unions here, uh, public worker unions here uh, at this meeting, uh, to talk about this issue, because they're the members, are the ones that are going to be affected by this. Where are they? Are, are they in agreement of getting rid of the rule of three and going to the rule of the list? I think those are important questions, and I think the more city workers discover the dangers that they face, and also the continuing problem of uh, responsibility and accountability of managers, 
who do illegal things, do violations, and are not held, held accountable, that's a problem for working people and the people of San Francisco. Uh, thank you for your comment. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, I actually just want to piggyback off of what, again, Ms. K. <laughs> I just want to piggyback off what Steve mentioned because uh, one of the changes that happened with civil service was the de-identification. That blew up just corruption, favoritism, nepotism. When you took the names off where you weren't transparent, see, I believe in integrity and I believe in trust. I believe in transparency and definitely accountability. And that's my middle name when I was working here. And I hold everybody else to that same standard. For some reason, we're getting away from those standards. And everybody's just doing what they want to do, regardless of what the rules are. And the uh, de-identification process was a mess because you couldn't see anybody's name anymore. So I come from way back. So I've been, you know, with the city for 17 years or, and before I was cut off. And just to let you know about when I came, when I came, it was because of my skills, my skill set. And the positions that I applied to, those tests, those civil service tests were relative to those skills. It wasn't an ABC test and, you know, uh, algebra test and no. When doing that particular job as a 9704 employment and training specialist, I had to know how to help people with job development, how to prepare a resume, how to do job search. A lot of those things were necessary for the test. But as I went on to apply for other positions, the tests were no longer relative to the position. Then I started seeing people coming in like, how they get here? Oh, they got a degree, but half of the degrees are not relative to the position either. So they were picking and choosing a long time ago. And then when the de-identification came, it got slicker. So as far as the favoritism, nepotism, and cronyism, that is constant. And then once you change it from the rule of three to the rule of list, it's going to be really bad. Because then you're going to get people in there that's not qualified, that's not from the community, don't know the community, don't know the people they serve, none of that. So if you guys want, and we, excuse me, San Francisco's already shot. And I'm born and raised here. I've never seen it like this. I had to move out just to be able to own a home. Okay. So you guys making these decisions are not relative to what's really going on. And, and like I'm saying, you know, the tests do not actually inside of the skills. So, you know, I don't know what to say. In regards to the, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say this, but in regards to changing it from the seniority of um, certification to a certification or to an appointment, three, just three, because three, of technology, I'm sorry, but just because of technology, that doesn't make any sense. They can do it, the technology with the certification, just they can, just like they're doing it with the appointment. It shouldn't make a difference. So. That's not an excuse to me. So thank you. 
Thank you for your comment. Uh, my name is Melody Fontilla. I've been before you several times today. Um, just want to reiterate, um, Carol Eisen had to leave. However, um, this is a precedent that's never been before with the pandemic. And so the fact that, because um, I tried to ask her the question about me being retired, um, forced to retire, and um, the fact that uh, I was forced to retire, so it makes a difference in in how things are looked at. So I would still be working had I not, since I was forced to take either take the shot or to lose my pension. And of course, I didn't want to lose my pension. So those are circumstances that have to be reevaluated. And even though I, I may not be here at your next meeting, I think that needs to be taken into consideration when whatever time that case comes back up and you're thinking or contemplating, what do you do with a person that retired versus someone who was laid off or separated in some other kind of way, you have to take in consideration. I would not have retired had I not been coerced into um, either taking the jab or uh, retirement. So I didn't want to lose my pension. And then on the, the, the points around people being able to um, not be seen on a list, that keeps everybody accountable and keeps everybody honest. It's not a lot of work to keep a name on a list so you can see who's on that list, what's being done, how they're moving up, and the fact that they got hired and you didn't. So this has gone on for years. I've worked with the city for almost 25 years. And I've seen this when they changed, when they took the names off the list, it's very unfair. And yes, people do cheat. People do hire people that they want to see in offices or in positions and they don't have the skills. I particularly had a skill working with ex-offenders and that's important. And if you're not able to work with that clientele that you're bringing in, that's a specialty. So I think it should not be something where, you know, people just are able to, um, not be tested for the job or the top, the, the, the tests don't match the position that you're applying for and that you have to take all these things in consideration because you have to keep people accountable. And when you just hip haphazardly allow people just dig down in a list to find somebody, then okay, you, maybe your job is a little harder, but you're going to find people that are qualified for the job as opposed to not. Thank you for your public comment. Kimberly Cox again, SFMTA. I just want to make a quick um, notation. I think this is right before, maybe it was 2022, we were in a meeting, or 2021, we were in a meeting with the Omnibudsman Dante King, our director of my division, and it was stated that this one gentleman, who's a Latino gentleman, he was number two on the list. And this got out all over SFMTA. Um, but however, the HR person, she dug down here to number 20 or so, or 13, because the supervisor wanted certain employees to take that position. So this poor guy, number two, who I happen to be a friend with from just a colleague, 
He didn't get a call. He didn't get anything. So thank God Dante exposed it and called his manager, our SFMTA director, and they did track back and ask the gentleman for an interview. But these type of things happen all the time. So I'm afraid that if we go and we change the rules, you're gonna see that more and more. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Thank you. Thank you for your public comment. Any additional public comment? Elizabeth, any public comment on the phone? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, thank you. Um, we've concluded our discussion of agenda items 11 and 12. Um, the rules will come back for our meeting on October 16th. Uh, the commission staff will forward to both departments the red line, I'm sorry, the highlighted version and senior manager Miles will connect with uh, executive officer Ng to work out when your documents need to be available for the next meeting. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the discussion and for the tremendous amount of work that has gone into this. And Director Biaspas, I personally appreciate the inclusion of the hypotheticals it provides a lot of clarity for those rules. Thank you. It, it's not just me. It's my I, I understand. It's a team. <laughs> I just want to make sure they got right. credit. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, executive officer, we are ready for the next agenda item. We are now several agenda items. Okay, we are now on closed session agenda item 13 public comment on all matters pertaining to items 14, 15 and 16. I will read all items here. Item 14 vote on whether to hold items 15 and 16 in closed session. Item before I leave. Item 15, appeal by Henry Z of the Human Resources Director's determination to administratively close appellant's complaint of harassment, retaliation, and failure to report personnel exceptions, San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.10B and California Government Code Section 54957B1. Recommendation of the Department of Human Resources, adopt the report, uphold the decision of the Human Resources Director, and deny the appeal by Henry Z. Item 16, performance evaluation, executive officer, personnel exception, San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.10B, and California Government Code Section 54957B1. Uh, this is a discussion and possible action. Okay, um, executive officer, thank you. Uh, commissioners, we have before us the question of, of, of going into closed session to discuss agenda items 15 and 16, both under the personnel exemption, San Francisco Administrative Code 67.10B. Any questions? If not, we'll take a motion and a second.
I move that we go into closed session to um, discuss and decide agenda items 15 and 16. Second. We have a motion and a second to proceed into closed session for agenda items 15 and 16. If you're in the room and you have public comment, you may come to the podium. Good evening. And thank you for your patience. Uh, my name is Andrew Sun, and I'm here to, to, to talk to you briefly about item number 15. Okay, the, what we're talking about now is the decision to go into closed session. Is that your comment about my, session? My, my, I think it says public comment on all matters pertaining to items 14, 15, and 16, which is your agenda item number 13. Yes. So therefore, under that particular agenda item, I am going to comment specifically on item number 15. Okay. Which you are about to go into closed session to discuss. Thank you. Um, that's the clarification. Okay. Um, thank you for, for your indulgence. I, I believe that Henry is not here today. And I don't think that he's here because, frankly, justice has not been served in treating this young man. And while I understand the commission is bound by certain kinds of rules and regulations, of which the Administrative Code Section 6710B is a part of that, and that there has been a fairly extensive review by Carol Eisen, the director. I think the commission might want to at least understand some of the, the issues before you go into closed session. Henry believes that he was wronged. He believes very firmly that while he was working in capacity for the Park and Recreation, his supervisor committed some actions that Henry believed were part of a sexual harassment. He, being Chinese, did not discuss it with his family, did not discuss it with his other colleagues. He believed that, in fact, something happened to him, but he was embarrassed to bring it up. And he never brought it up until he began to realize that something had happened to him and that he should bring it up. And so he proceeded to try to bring it up on his own without the counsel of, 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 of lawyers or counsel. Now, if you know Henry, one of the other things that have happened to Henry is that throughout his life, he was never really tested because his family believed if he just worked harder, he would overcome all kinds of issues. As a fr friend of the family, I understand that Henry, in trying to build a very solid life for himself, is and probably was and has always been somewhat on the spectrum. But his family never really accepted that because for those of us who are Chinese or Asian families, we have a hard time accepting that. Despite the issues that Henry faced as a young man, despite the fact that he tried and worked for five and a half years for Park and Rex and did a very good job, many years later he realized something had happened to him that he wanted to bring forward. The city's HR code doesn't allow for that. 
unless you can prove and demonstrate that you've been tested, no supervisor recognizes that. You, your director didn't account for that. And I want you to understand that when you go into your closed session to look at the administrative report for your director, it does not necessarily provide you with a clean portrait of what has happened to this young man. We know from the hashtag MeToo movement that it's very difficult to uncover those kinds of situations. But many years later, this young man had the courage on his own, despite whatever issues that he had, to try to bring it to your attention that something happened to him and he knew that it was wrong. Thank you very much for your indulgence. I appreciate your patience. Uh, thank you. Did we get his name? Yes. Okay. Son, thank you. you know, yeah. So, uh, city attorney, if the appellant isn't here, um, well, is there any other public comment before we move on? Um, Elizabeth, is there additional public comment? President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay. So, there's a pending motion to move into closed session. So, you can vote on that motion. And um, if we go into closed session, um, and the appellant is not here, but the department is, you would be free to ask the department questions about the matter um, in closed session in order to protect the personnel information within the file that you have available to you. And you can also deliberate in closed session if you choose. Um, if you also, after the closed session, you can also choose whether to vote to reveal the contents of anything that occurred during closed session. Um, it's within your prerogative. Um, commissioners, the uh, roll call of call vote on the pending motion to go into closed session. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. Uh, no. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. No. Commissioner Leon. Aye. Um, so, commissioners, remember we are we we lump together fifteen and sixteen. Um, we can separate them if you'd like. You can separate them. So, if you want to do a motion um, with respect to each line item, you may. Mm -hmm. Shall we do uh, separate motions to go into closed session for fifteen and sixteen? Is that what you intend? Okay. Um, if we could have a motion any second on the question of closed session for agenda item, whether the commission could go should go into closed session for agenda item 15. Um, executive officer, you have a comment to make before the motion. Um, I wanted to make sure that we had a chance if the appellant uh, has called in to press star three to raise your hand so we know if you are in uh, attending the meeting. It does not President, look like. 
Yeah, oh, President Minor, no, no raised hands at the moment. Okay. Is the department still here? Elizabeth is, um, yes, the department is still here. She has her hand raised. You can unmute yourself. Good evening. This is Diana Jew from recreation and parks department. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so, uh, and this is Mariana Gonzalez Rojas with the department of DHR EEO division. Oh, okay. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Hold tight for a minute. Let's uh, complete this vote on the motion. The motion before us is the question of whether the commission will go into close at close session to hear uh, agenda item 15. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Uh, since we normally do not hear um, appeals on um, Decisions to administratively close complaints of harassment, retaliation, uh, et cetera. Um, and I haven't really heard any particular reason why this one should go into closed session. I don't know if the department has any uh, insight into, um, you know, why this one should go into closed session. Um, City Attorney. Um, at the last meeting, there was a discussion about having these matters held in closed session due to the EEO's belief that much of the material that was included in the report, such as the interviews of witnesses or um, information about employees that are not parties to this appeal is sensitive personnel information. They did not want to provide it as a matter of the public record. And so it was included for the commission's review, but not made available necessarily to the public. That doesn't preclude you from holding the discussion in public session, but I would caution the commission to be sensitive to what information you may reveal if you if you choose to hold it in a public session. There may be conversations about other employees that are not parties. Um, that's personal and was not necessarily substantiated against employees. And um, the personnel except exception is intended to uh, protect those individuals from unwarranted comments about their personnel records without them being present. So it's certainly up to the commission to decide whether or not to do it, but I wanted to highlight the reason why this matter was placed into closed session. So, it, so going forward, the DHR position is that all of these discrimination matters should be held in closed session. You'd have to ask DHR. I don't represent them, but I know that there um, have been ongoing conversations about what information they can or cannot reveal in connection with their reports. Um, my office is currently working on a, a memo that would hopefully clarify that issue. But um, at this time, I believe they've taken the position that much of what's included in the EEO investigation would not normally be subject to, for example, a Public Records Act request. Um, so there's some tension between the concept of simply handing over a file to someone who is an appellant who might not otherwise be entitled to that information, you know, by making a Public Records Act request, simply by virtue of appealing the matter of the Civil Service Commission um, 
does that in fact make a record that would other be, otherwise be a confidential personnel record? Does that make it public? The material that was provided to us, though, in connection with this map, made available to the appellant. The um, at the last meeting, EEO clarified that all of the material would either be provided to the appellants or made available to them on inspection. I don't know for this particular case. Sandra Ng, um, in this particular uh, case, the Department of Human Resources um, provided the records, including the EEO investigative report that they redacted as they had previously done, referring to person A, person B, and uh, so the person, uh, the appellant did receive a slightly redacted, just uh, similar to how it has been done in the past. Okay. But just so the commissioners are aware, right now the records are not posted on our website and not in the public viewing binder because if the commission decided to go in closed session, we will never have to it's confidential. We will never have to post the information. And that has been, if the commission had decided to hear this item in open session, then we would have returned to the office to make these records available. Hey, Commissioner Salveson, do you want a follow-up? No, I think I understand it. I, I think it would be useful. Uh, to get the memo that the city attorney. Uh huh. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> we all agree. <laughs> I would like that more than probably yes. anyone else here. <laughs> yeah. I felt that at the last meeting as well. Um, For the record, I drafted it in July. Commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leon. So, for the reason stated by the city attorney, I would be more comfortable if we had some uh, uh, guidance coming from the city attorneys on this particular matter before we move forward hearing it in public. Um, Kate Kimberlin, deputy city attorney. It in this instance, um, I, as the executive director, has confirmed the appellant received the the same file that you received. Um, as I understand it from DHREO, it. It takes an extraordinary amount of time to go through each of these EEO records and do the type of redaction that occurred in this case. And so they are hoping to move in a different direction in the future. Um, if the commission does not go into closed session on this matter, um, I do believe there would be an obligation for us to post the file as it currently is in the redacted form, it doesn't include the employees' names. That would be in line with what the commission has been doing for you know, the time that I've been on um, this assignment. So it wouldn't be a change of policy. Um, Wait, what wouldn't be a change? It, it wouldn't be a change of procedure to keep this matter in open session for this moment, um, but it would mean we would have to go ahead and put the documents on the website for anyone who wants to take a look at them going forward. Uh, Commissioner Crawley. Uh, two questions and for the purposes of this meeting, I'll, I'll uh, redirect my, my no vote to a yes vote in purposes to expedite going into a closed session, not to put anything online that would uh, disseminate to an improper authority. 
My second question, do we have the appellant here and online? No, we don't have the no. appellant today. Uh, Commissioner Leon, did you have oh, a no. follow up? No, you're not. You're not lit up, but I just wanted to make sure because this is all new for you. Um, so we have a, a do we have a motion on the floor? Okay. Um, so, Madam Chair, for the purpose of this meeting, do you want me to put a motion on the floor yes, that in the affirmative of going into closed session? Thank so you. Move. Thank you, Commissioner Crawley. Yes, yes, this is just for 15. For 15. Uh huh. Sorry. Okay. And um, is there a second? Second. Okay. We have a motion and a second to go into closed session to discuss agenda item number 15. Uh, if you have any public comment, you may come to the podium, although. Or press star three now. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, Commissioner Savrol, call vote on the question of closed session for agenda item number 15. Uh, Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. Uh, we have voted three to one to go into closed session with uh, Commissioner Salveson voting no. Okay. And now let's take up uh, the question of closed session for agenda item number 16. I move we go into closed section for closed session for agenda item 16. And a second. And I get a clarification. Did you say move into close it? Oh, go in. Okay. Did it did do we have a second? Second. Yeah. Okay, we have a motion and a second to go into closed session for uh, purposes of agenda item number 16. If you're in the room or on the telephone and have public comment, you may come to the podium or press star three if you're on the telephone. President Minor, no public comment at this time. Okay, uh, Commissioner, the roll call vote, please, on going into closed session for agenda item number 16. Commissioner Crawley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye. We voted 4-0 uh, uh, to move into closed session for agenda item number 16. Uh, Executive officer, we're ready for closed session. Okay. The commissioner has been the practice. We would need to leave as the deputy stated. So it's possible if you look, there's a red X mm -hmm. exit, and then we will uh, uh, joining the closed uh, session when Elizabeth is ready. 